Hey, welcome to uh, another Model Railroad Hobbyist podcast. I'm still Paul Gillette, and downstream uh, Jim Lincoln and Chris Palomares will be joining. This is somewhat of a uh, a multi-attempt to have a conversation with Joey Ricard of Trackside Scenery. Skype and the various recorders have worked against us for the last, I think it was, Joey, four weeks? Yeah, three or four weeks. Yeah, so, but tonight... Everything is working, and I even have a backup recorder doing this also. So, so how are things in Bunker Hill, West Virginia? They're great. The weather's cooling off, and we're able to get outside and not sweat to death. We're not there yet. We're still sweating to death every time we go out. But at least it was only 90 today. It wasn't 95, so. Yeah, every time I think it's going to cool off the next day, you go out and I go out to do cardio after I get out of the gym and it's, I end up sweating and have to go back home, take a shower before I go to work. Yeah, I've cut, I uh, started biking again and I'm holding it under 10 miles, just cuts the humidity. Yeah. yeah, and I'm taking two water bottles on the bike with me and I'm getting home, gone through those and I'm just drenched and sitting on the back porch to cool down before I come into showers, just really not working. So (laughs) terrible. So if, uh, for those of you who do not know, Joey is a photographer and graphic artist, correct? That's correct. Okay. He has a website, trackside scenery, all one group of letters.com. And Joey provides And I'm going to let him tell you about it, but some of the most incredible photo backdrops you're going to see. And he's done all this photography work himself. He's also a very accomplished modeler. And when you go to his YouTube channel, which is Trackside Scenery, he has the last count, 52, I think, maybe 54 now, video how-tos, tutorials, plus updates on his current project, Building a Model Railroad. And so, Joey, you also worked in the real railroad for a while, correct? That's right. And that was with whom? Well, I started with CSX, and I worked in. Uh, well, I worked a lot of jobs, a lot of different jobs over the years. I started as a, a laborer, and at the time, the craft was called Fireman Oiler. And of course, there was nothing to fire and, and not much to oil, so it really became <laughs> the guy that cleaned up. And 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 believe it or not, I was the guy that drained the toilets on some of the locomotives. We did that in the beginning. And um, I worked out of Riverside Locomotive Shop for CSX in Baltimore there. And uh, through the course of time, uh, you know, I I did different jobs. I ended up being a machinist apprentice and then a machinist. So in Baltimore, that's actually a locomotive, you know, mechanic where you'd go out and do running repairs. And they don't have a facility where they're doing, you know, complete overalls like Cumberland or, or Huntington or one of those places. Yes. And, and of course, I'm not mentioning the Conrail stuff because at the time I worked there, we had not merged with Conrail yet. So, okay. Uh, but anyway, uh, as a machinist in um, Baltimore, we went out and did running repairs at the different yards uh, Bayview, uh, Curtis Bay, places like that. It was, it was small stuff, really, more along the lines of changing brake shoes and, and, you know, just fixing things that were, could even be a headlight, things like that. 
1999, shortly after the merger, I went to work for Norfolk Southern as a conductor, and I worked out of Manassas, Virginia for uh, about four years, and then my last two years, I worked for Amtrak as a yardmaster in Washington, D.C. Amazing, amazing. Probably a lot of us here would envy, you know, those jobs. I was in the rail industry, but not on the uh, railroad side, on the freight car building side. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I applied for a, a job at UP when we moved to Arizona about 10 years ago. I thought I was too old, but a friend of mine who was with UP, he said, no, he said, H doesn't have anything to do with it. So he said, let me call my... Uh, train master, and let him know you're going to be filling out an application. Well, unfortunately, the, the district he operated out of was up in Nebraska. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. I went, okay, that's going to be a little bit of a commute. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Do we have anything closer to, to Phoenix? But it was just fun having the conversations with him and so forth. Yeah. So tell me, okay, so commercial artist, you're a, an accomplished photographer. How did that translate into model railroading? Did it spur model railroading or were you a model railroader and this just took you to a new level? Well, the, the truth is I started modeling at a very young age and of course I loved anything that was related to transportation. And that was cars, trucks, buses, airplanes, and of course trains. And although I built a lot of models, I found that model trains gave me something to do after the model was finished, unlike a, you know, an airplane or, or a yeah. car or something like that. And um, through the years, I did modeling off and on. You know, I, I had spurts where, you know, there was, I, I discovered cars, real cars, and got into, you know, building a race car and, you know, lifting weights and football and sports and things like that. But when I came back, I've always, I'd always come back to it. And model railroading, I would say, if there was one thing I always kept in my life, you know, where, where you know, other things have kind of faded, it's always been model railroading. But the truth is the, the model railroad products part of it actually came by, by way of working on the railroad. And um, I always, you know, while I was out on the trains, I always said, man, there's got to be a way to incorporate a realistic scale proportionate type backdrop into model railroading. And, you know, for years I thought about it, but I learned to do all that stuff uh, self-taught. When the other guys at the away terminal, in this case, it was Hagerstown for me, Hagerstown, Maryland, they would go out and play cards or go shopping or go out to eat. And I would get on the laptop and I wanted to learn how to do graphics. I wanted to learn how to, you know, do all those things you saw on, you know, the, in the early days of the internet where people would chop somebody's head off and stick it on a frog or, you know, you'd do all those little silly things. I wanted to know how to do it. And just over time and working with the, you know, the graphics programs, I learned how to do that and, and become proficient at it. Now, most people think backdrops are a panorama photo. And in a lot of cases, they are. They're a single, you know, panorama photo. But what I wanted to do was once you put that photo up on the wall or on the layout, where do you go to the left or right? So it, it started to make sense to me. There's got to be a way to do this without mirroring it, you know, without taking the print and flipping it. Right. To be able to to have a, a system. And, and that's that's what started the company. That's That's what... That's what geared me to really push doing it. And I started doing it for myself and friends. And after a while, it became something that everybody wanted. Okay. So you started the website and commercialized it how long ago? 
I started offering them online, available to order right off the website in 2013. Okay. In October of 2013. All right. Now, as you guys go watch Joey's different videos, you're going to see some special features. But describe, because you mentioned it a while ago, uh, scale proportionate, but the fact that you can actually seamlessly put these together. Uh, how do you do that? <laughs> Tricks of the trade. Okay, it's, don't want to give away any. No, it's 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 no secret. And if and if somebody can can do it better than I can, then more power to them. But it's it's a lot of work. And what you see in most of the backdrops, like I said, aren't a panorama. They're individual trees that have been painstakingly cut out. I mean, around every leaf and placed in certain areas on the edges of the photo where when you mate one when you mate the left side of one to the right side of another they blend seamlessly okay you know what i mean not flipped right. but literally in some of the backdrops and these backdrops you know a single backdrop starting a series takes me 2 weeks or 3 weeks of 8 hour days of, of really trying to sit down and make it look right where there's you'll, you'll notice that in in all the backdrops there's no distracting shadows there's no pole lines okay. there's no weird angles on the buildings you know if, if you're looking if you're looking at the layout from the far left side at a 45 degree angle a building's not going to look like it's leaning right you know and it, and it just it just time and trial and error you know was what produced that it was just a lot of time okay because in one of our previous conversations, you'd mentioned how you can put any number of these together to form a series if you've got a big, a big wall or a big space. That's correct. I'll, I'll, I'll say that uh, our backdrops are different from what you might find with other commercial available products. All of our backdrops are available in a variety of lengths and heights to help you reach your goal. So you could take one backdrop let's just say you're in the hickory hollow series and you're looking at hickory hollow 01 and it's yeah. just some foliage that is available once you once you say i like that backdrop you know you're going to choose a height you know for all your backdrops so say you pick 24 inches now if you had 12 feet of wall you wanted to cover there's a couple ways you could do it you could take an eight foot long and mate it to a four foot and they're going to mate seamlessly or you could take three four footers okay you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Number number one, all of the backdrops are scale proportionate for your model scale, and they all feature real life, like a trackside vantage point or trackside view. Okay. The, the other thing is, the all the backdrops are expandable, not only with themselves and any any of its available links, but you can mix, mix and match them to reach your desired overall length. You can choose a series, and all the backdrops in that particular series are expandable not only with themselves, but with every one of them in that series, providing, of course, you pick the same scale and same height. Okay. Yeah, because that's the ones that I have seen, and I'm not talking about the artist rendering of a, a mountain range or something like that, a, a computer created, but yeah, they're just... They weren't seamless. It was obvious, okay, here's mm -hmm. where a splice point was, and the continuity was just was flawed. So, yeah. But I've looked at some of your larger ones, and I've gone, you just can't see this. It's like, you know, I'm rotating on my chair here following this, <laughs> this yeah. range around. So it's incredible. Now, 
the you have the ones that you have buildings in. Yeah. How did you come up with that idea? I think that's great. Yeah. They're, well, just like anything else, this all stemmed from something I needed on my layout. So okay. lucky, lucky you. Um, it's kind of the same thing, but all the buildings that you see, they're, they're not artwork. They're, they're actual pieces of real buildings from real photographs, okay. but they're, but you know, they're not necessarily a real building as, as I took a photo and you'll, you'll hear my dogs in the background, there. but <laughs> you know, what I do is I, I go out and I shoot, um, you know, hang on one second. Shut up. <laughs> They've been in here in the shop all day. So. That's okay. Jim's dogs will be, uh, you know, barking all the time. So don't worry about it. Yeah. Well, the last couple of times I, I drove them home and then came back, you know, before I did it. But, but anyway, with, with the buildings, what I did was I went out in, in with, with any buildings you see, whether they're the building flats or textures, you know, or the buildings in the backdrops themselves. Some of them are derived from real buildings. They're the complete size, complete shape. Others, and most of them, are actually pieces of buildings. What I did when I first started, when Doreen would go on her many travels with us, we, we would go out and I would take pictures of the side of a brick wall or the side of a building that looked interesting, interesting to me. Yeah. I would take pictures of windows, doors, you know, railings, loading docks, that sort of thing. And then what I could do is get them back home and, and painstakingly again, cut everything out to where I need it and apply it to something else. And it all starts with either a brick wall or, or, you know, a wood clappered wall or something like that, that I pieced together. And it, it takes a lot because there's, there's no wall that's the size of uh, like a Walmart building, you know, that's, it's really hard to capture in one photo, you know, right. a solid, a solid wall. So I have to take a small section and I have to make it repeatable where when I take, say it's a square, when I take that square and make a copy of it and put it on top of it and to the right and to the left, it's all got to blend together and then I can make the wall as big as I want. Okay. And the other thing is I try real hard to use a, a couple of techniques, like, like embossing techniques to create almost like a 3D effect to it. And there's, there's okay. some of those you can see really well in some of the backdrops, if you're looking close enough, obviously, and, and others in the texture prints and things like that. And I got a few things I'm working on Hopefully that'll be out either, you know, late, maybe late fall, early winter that, that I'm going to add to the texture line and also to the building flats. Okay. Well, and it, it, I looked at one of them and it occurred to me that to bring a little bit more dimensionality towards the viewer, uh, I thought, you know, you could probably go to Titchy, for instance, and buy some windows and actually put it there, cut yeah. windows and apply them to your... Uh, photo or a yeah. porch or a gutter or whatever else absolutely because the photos you you've shot with your uh gp9s in front of some of the backdrops with the buildings on them they just when you're looking at that little vignette there yeah you don't pick your brain does not realize that hey that's just a a print it looks <laughs> three-dimensional yeah 
There, uh, actually, with this new layout we're working on, and if you go to our YouTube channel, you'll see we're up to update number five now. Yes. I, I'm actually starting, uh, you know, I'm kind of all over the place with it. That's why I don't put videos out every week. I, I would just, I'd kill myself to be able to do that. Yeah. But but it's just, a, it's a lot of work doing the videos and trying to build the layout at the same time. But in the process, uh, on the town side of the layout, I'm actually working on sort of like that hybrid flat that, that we were talking about one of our other conversations or just what you mentioned yes. where I'm taking the print like a solid brick print. Okay. It's just brick, nothing else. Yeah. And, and I'm uh, using adhesive back, you know, paper and I'm applying it to foam board or basswood. Okay. And this has worked out real nice. What I do is that I can then put it on the laser and I can actually cut out my window openings in it. Wow. To, pl to place either the titchy windows or, or the ones I'm using, I'm cutting myself. Okay. But, but uh, you know, I, I may offer that, you know, available with a standard size opening or something like that. But I'm really thinking about it. Well, uh, and the other thing along that line is you have some three-dimensional structure kits mm -hmm. that are like background buildings that would – that you put them together and you put them up against your photo backdrop, which I thought, because one, your backdrop buildings are very, very detailed. Uh, they're not just a, an injection molded plastic. I liked all the, the visual. I could perceive the depth. Yeah. So your eye is, it's like visual tactile sensation. And I thought, that is just really cool. Yeah. The, the, the detail you can get from a photograph, oftentimes you can't, you literally can't tell that it's not brick or it's not wood. Mm -hmm. on, on some of the water towers, or, or I used to offer a water tower kit, but it was so labor intensive to do, I yeah. kind of, I, I had to stop doing it. But if you look at the, any of the pictures on the Facebook page of the, the ON30 spruce layout and you see a water tower. Uh, that water tower, the actual tank wrapping, you know, the wood, you know, the vertical wood is all photographs. And I have I, I had one that I built out of wood. And when I would go to shows, I'd ask somebody if they could tell me which one's which. And they oh, couldn't. cool. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So you've got some new things in the in the hopper that a little bit later this or whenever fall decides to get here. Yeah, we might see. All right. Now. On the layout that you're building, and you're right, we're up to video five. I watched it the other day. Uh, the thing that just, <laughs> I was telling my wife about it. I said, this is what you can do when you're a, a, a commercial printer, graphic artist. I said, he printed out his railroad track plan one-to-one -one ratio so he could lay it over his board and see how it works. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> It's it. I can do that for people. I don't offer it as a standard, obviously, because there's so many different, you know, configurations. But I, I can certainly do it for somebody if they have it scaled properly, because then that's where you get into the custom. You know, if yeah. I have to take it and I have to, you know, make it bigger and I have to make it, you know, clearer and then print it. It, it just it's a big it's a big project. Well, and you want to be compensated for your time, and that's exactly what you're talking about. Absolutely. But if, if someone needed that, you know, I can certainly print that out on plain paper and, and ship it out to them. Also, if you if you go to our Trackside Scenery Facebook page, which is Facebook.com oh, okay. yeah, slash Trackside Scenery, 
uh, you'll see that I printed out a mock backdrop because I'm, I'm playing with some different ideas and some some new, you know, in other words, it's it's not an existing one. It's up there. It's a spinoff of some of the existing ones. Okay. But I'm, I'm just doing some new stuff, and I wanted to see how it looked in full scale. So I printed that out on plain paper and, and put it up there. And that's on the Facebook page as well. Okay. Well, and speaking of that is when you look at all the photo backdrops that you have that you can select from, I mean – you shot all, did all the photography, I believe is what you said. Correct. And I'm looking at the, the desert ones, having just, you know, last year moved out of uh, Phoenix. And I went, good grief, this looks like just north of 303, heading for Sun City. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, but some of the mountain and tree vistas you have captured. Uh, boy, if they were vacation spots, I want to get a <laughs> listing of where they are because they're just <laughs> stunning. Yeah, well, with with each one, I, I, literally in the Western Timberland series, there's literally probably, I'm going to say six states worth of elements wow, in, the, in, wow. in those backdrops. You know, everything from South Dakota to Colorado, California, you know, mm-hmm. it's a lot of stuff. Because you're over, now you're part of West Virginia, you're in the Eastern Panhandle. You're not that far from, I think, What'd you say, D.C., Fredericksburg, those places like yeah, that? Yeah, about two hours, yeah. And so you're more maybe foothills of the Appalachians. You're, some of your photos showed me that, holy cow, that's not mountainous at all versus, like, I'm from the Huntington area, and so we had a lot of hills over there. And there's parts of some of those two-lane roads that you've shot I went, you know, this is just like U.S. Route 60 going through uh, extreme western Arizona, getting ready to cross into uh, (laughs) California. I mean, it's amazing how uh, the terrain is so, so similar. Yeah, there's a lot of different uh, areas that you can model with, you know, each series. It's it's, although, you know, I I could have called it the Appalachian Appalachian series. Yes. But I I didn't want to do that because I didn't want someone to go, oh, well, I'm modeling somewhere in Indiana. And, (laughs) and, you know, and then they wouldn't look at it because of the name of it. And I didn't want to do that, you know. And. Yeah, it now just, if you've got uh, sense to, yeah, if you got giant redwoods, yeah, you're not going to pass that off as northern Georgia, right? But, exactly. <laughs> but what you're saying is very valid. The video series, how did that come about? Wow, that <laughs> I I tell you what, I've always been a a lover of doing comical type videos, whether it was for just the family or, or, you know, the early days of YouTube, we, you know, clowning around doing things. I would even, you know, when I worked on the railroad, I even had my camera with me. And, you know, when we would get into the, uh, the hotel and stuff, we'd shoot video and make jokes and share it with each other and things like that. Okay. But, uh, it made sense to me to, uh, to have a video channel, to kind of be an adjunct to the the website itself, the products and things. But I didn't want the video channel to be a, a, here, look what we have for sale now. Here's a review. Here's a, you know, I wanted it to be something where I shared my experiences in modeling, good, bad, or ugly. And, and that goes to not only just, you know, making the, or you know, doing the how-to portions of it, but actually having fun and showing why and how I do things and think of things, you know, that's that sort of thing. They're, uh, they're very 
informative. And your wife is such a good sport to put up with it. The one where you crawl through her class behind her back to steal chalk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just, and the and the blender. Yeah. So I guess I guess uh your wife is quite the uh Garage sale shopper? Yeah, she's yard sale every weekend, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's her outlet. It's it's like her model railroading. She loves, you know, buying things. And she's the one that decorated the shop here and she's also come up with a lot of ideas for the for the layout and, and uh I have three blenders in the back of the shop here, of course. <laughs> 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 that I haven't used in a year or so, but I'll I'll, I'll be using that soon. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a real lucky guy to have someone that's as supportive as she is, and uh, you know I will tell you she's she's not an expert on trains. She's not interested in you know what an SD40 is or you know uh, a Dash Nine or something like that. But she is interested in the modeling and the art par- portion of the whole thing. You know. Yeah, my wife is is su- supportive too. She goes, "Why are you doing your airbrushing like this?" And I said, "Well, it's just." airbrush I've had for 10 or 15 years. She said, aren't there better ones out there? I said, yeah, there's internal mixed machines where you can vary the pressure and the product flow. I said, but they tend to be more expensive. And I I said, I've adapted to this other one. And she goes, no, I think you need one. Let me get one. (laughs) so, So she did. But when I first got into this and got an airbrush. It was a, a Badger 250, which is the the most rudimentary, crude is another word that comes to mind. You know, it sucks it up and just spits it out. But once you learn how it works, yeah, yeah, I've got a couple of my original locomotives that I've since repainted several times, and I'll put them up against anybody's paint job. But, you know, you just understand the limitations of what you're dealing with. Yeah. I th- I think most people think things uh, that they haven't done are harder than what they really are, and that is another thing I try to showcase in the video. Where you know, I'm not a brain surgeon, Paul. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I'll be the first to admit I try to do things as as easy as possible. I I want it done right, and if it's believable, it works. You know, so yes. it it doesn't have to be the most expensive commercially available product. It could be something you scratch make. And and that's where I came up with a lot of the stuff for the videos using real dirt and, you know, the hairspray and all that type of stuff is just to kind of show it's it's you can you can if you experiment and you practice and you take some time with it, you can learn to do almost any aspect of this hobby. Yeah, Joey digs up real dirt. He grinds it in a in a garage sale blender. To get the uh, the fine, the grade, if you will, that he wants. And so I was telling him, I said, I need to buy some dirt from you because <laughs> all we have here in uh, this part of Louisiana is a real loamy soil yeah. or sand. So your the video where you do the, the dirt, where you illustrate how you do dirt on that diorama, mm-hmm. and you put it down, and then you just saturate it with hairspray. And I'm going, I mean, I've used hairspray a lot in making trees when I put on the ground foam or whatever the coating, but it never occurred to me, you know, it's always been matte medium or something like that. So two days ago, I still don't have dirt, but I bought plaster of Paris and blood, Mm -hmm. dried pigment, and I bought, Scenic Express makes this 
some kind of Caribbean polished sand. Yeah. And so I mixed all this stuff together and I painted on the, uh, the, I didn't even have a spray gun up here. So I just painted it on the water. And I went, well, this sucks. Yeah, because you can never get enough water on. So finally got it wet, got it in. And I went down to the dollar store and bought four cans of $1 hairspray (laughs) and did exactly what Joey's video did. I saturated it, you know, built up so I didn't blow it away and then saturated it outside of the house smelling like an old, uh, you know, a 60-year-old woman convention here with strong yeah. perfume. <laughs> it did the trick, and I would have never thought about that. And I went, this is just perfect. I can yeah. buy dollar cans of uh, extra hold hairspray all day long. So yeah. really work. There's just any number of tips that you've shared in those videos that are just, they're priceless. Yeah, there's that's a video I, I think I'm going to do sooner or later is get together with guys like yourself and, and other of the, you know, more popular or well-known modelers that I know and, and get together and get their favorite tips and share them in a video. You know, just a, just a wide variety of, you know, anything you can think of, you know, maybe from, from tools to doing stuff a certain way or, a, you know, just a bunch of different uh, stuff. Well, you know, that's a modern take on Lynn Westcott's uh, book from, good grief, 40s, 50s, yeah. 764 modeling tips. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He just solicited those and I still have my copy of it. And it was just, you know, you got your little paragraph and attribution and it's, yeah, it's still valid. So you've got the new railroad going. You obviously have a lot more carpentry skills and tools than most of us do. <laughs> I'm watching you put this stuff together and I'm going, this guy must know, yeah, Norm Abrams from this old house. He's got a woodwork shop. Yeah, I used to watch that. Um, I, I, have, I have the basic, basic tools. My brother, Matt, who okay. is, is indispensable in helping me, he has a lot of equipment. He makes a lot of furniture and cabinets and things like that. Not for sale, but for himself. And it's, it's, his, it's his hobby. But he, uh, he always helps me. He's got a, a planer and he's got the, you know, the table saws and things like that where we can cut the grooves. But to be quite honest, it's, it's not that expensive, you know, worth of uh, equipment if you buy it. I think most people that own a house have a, have a skill saw, you know, the old term skill saw, yeah. circular yeah. saw. You know, maybe, maybe some, some of them have a table, you know, to go with it. It's, so it, the, the circular saw is now on a table. It's a table saw. That's really the biggest thing that someone would need if they want to do precision cuts on plywood or, you know, a chop saw. You can get a chop saw at a yard sale, uh, you know, for under a hundred bucks. And if, wow. and if you do more than just build a layout, if you're, if you're just building a layout, you do no other carpentry whatsoever. I understand that maybe pay your neighbor to do it or, or ask somebody to help you. But if, if you like to build things and you have a house and you want to work on things, buy yourself a good set of tools. And, and that, that I learned a long time ago. Buy yourself a good set of tools. Or do what I did. I paid somebody to make all that. <laughs> yeah. Now, I've built stuff like that myself before. And when I started doing the uh, display railroad there at an affair with trains and Bob goes, well, I asked him, I said, how big do you want this to be? Yeah. He said, well, fill up all that empty space at the back of the store. So I got with the, the fire inspector, found out how much I had to leave for the uh, fire exits and all that stuff, so I'd be in code. Mm-hmm. 
And so I gave him blueprints. It was 17 by 25 to walk in, walk around. And he goes, well, how are you going to do this? And I said, well, you're going out and buy <laughs> a, a table saw and this and that, which he did. And it worked out well. Uh, that's my dog in the background barking. Yeah. yeah. Probably now, means... Now, now with this with this new layout, very yeah. well, I, I could have had the plywood cut at Lowe's, yes. you know, to, to, to size. But, it, you know, it just made sense that Matt had it, and yeah. we had, that's where we kind of started building the layout over there. But really, when it comes down to it, and, and you've seen it, if you watch the video, you'll see that it's really two-by-fours, you know, one-by-fours, one-by-threes. It, it's anything you can get from Lowe's, and it doesn't come from anywhere else. So if you can, you know, get yourself a saw, you can easily put this together. Well, and I guess, yeah, the lumber part of it, I was j just addressing your process. I went, all right, somebody really knows what they're, they're doing, like just cutting the grooves yeah. that, for the uh, background so that you could adjust the height once you put your background scene. I mean, you thought it through very, very well. Well, it's from a lot of trial and error, and, and I can't say how many layouts I've, I've built in my life, but I've gone from, you know, N scale up to O scale, back to HO and N and, you know, all over the place. But all that experience and all those mistakes I made, and, and when I would get something done, I would say, oh, how am I going to fit this in here? You know, and that's especially with the backdrops, you know, you yeah. have to have to make it where, uh, you know, if it's you know, an eighth of an inch off and you have a road that's going to be showing, you know, onto the layout, yeah. you want it to be in the right spot. And I, I gave myself that little bit of room to be able to do that. Yeah. Well, the series is just really great. And such, you know, because your other railroad, the one in the ON30, mm -hmm. where you've illustrated mountain techniques, scenery, track weathering, and so forth. Uh, that's just, I was, again, telling my wife, because she goes, Aren't you going to get bored once you get this thing done? <laughs> yeah. I said, honey, this ain't going to be done properly on this side of heaven. And she goes, well, but you've got the table up. You know, all the modules are up and the, yeah. the wiring's done. And I can, two main lines, I can run trains. But I said, no. I said, one thing I've noticed from Joey's videos, it's the seemingly small, insignificant detail items like you've got a guy on a porch who's got, if I recall right, besides just weeds growing up around the porch, empty soda cases and stuff there. It's just yeah. all this minutia that just sucks you into the scene. Yeah. It's great. Well, that was my biggest thing when I – I was building an HO layout at the time. And, and you'll be happy to know it was a CNO layout, CNO base. There we go. There we go. <laughs> but it was it was so big. It was twelve by twenty four, and it was inside this you know detached garage that I had, and I, I didn't have a lot of time because I was commuting and traveling a lot. So I said, you know, I I really need to do something that I can feel like I finished, feel like I accomplished something. And that's what made me start that original mini layout, the ON30 spruce layout that was 24 by 42. Mm -hmm. And it had some real tight curves and it was, you know, stuck with, you know, porters and, and basically two axle engines and things like yeah. that. But I wanted that thing to be so detailed. Well, when I, when, I, when I got halfway through it and I had all the track laid, I was like, well, what am I going to do? I had no plan for, <laughs> I really, I had no plan for what I was going to do with the mountains or the, you know, I knew, I know what it, what I wanted it to look like, but I had no clue 
what it was going to look like. So it was all one of those things where you just start slapping things on and no, I don't like that. And I, and I tore it off. You can always take things off. Exactly. You, know, you can always, you can always start over. And, and that's what I did. And, and somehow I just came up with this plan that it turned the layout into what I call it almost like a three sided diorama. You know, it was a, it was a working layout, but you could photograph it from three different sides and it looked like a completely different thing. And you would never know from looking at the magazine article that was in O-Gage Railroading that it was only 24 by 48 or 42. Okay. So. It's amazing. I'm looking forward to the, uh, the new one you're doing. It's, you know, because I came out of access to big HO railroads. So I've got way too many F-89 flat cars, too many 85-foot <laughs> yeah. passengers and big locomotives. I'm sitting here going, I can probably, this stuff's weathered, it's weighted, it's yeah. uh, detailed. and I'm thinking, I may just reduce down to maybe five or six steam locomotives because then I can run 40 maybe a 50-foot car, and then this space grows. But right. as I mentioned, you did a trip with one of your buddies up to watch the Clinchfield. Yep. And there were some scenes, as you're doing the voiceover at the beginning, of CSX locomotives going through these narrow cuts, snaking through these 80, probably 80 to 100-year-old tunnels Yeah. with flood load... <laughs> High side coal <laughs> gondolas. And there's one scene where you're showing these trains go in between and there's a break in the trees. You see the train break yeah. in the trees, you see. And that's made me really think what I'm gonna do on half this railroad. <laughs> I tell you what, there's there's you know, there's nothing like the Clinchfield. I mean that was for years and years, ever since ever since I read uh what's his name? Gordon Odgard. That okay. did, the, did the articles in Model Railroader, and I, I want to say it was in the seventies. Okay. But he he did a series, and then he also they also did it into a book. It was modeling the Clinchfield in N scale, and um, it was just just amazing how the guy blended you know the the, the scenery in with the track, and just you know had hidden areas and uh, you know a helix and. And all in a small space, and I don't remember the footprint, but it was it was probably something like five or six feet wide by ten feet long, ten or twelve feet long. Yeah. But it, it was a portable layout, and and ever since then, I just I loved the idea of that. But it always always kept you in these certain parameters where your your, your radius couldn't be as wide as you wanted to be, like on a home layout. But you could store the thing. You know, you could you could you could store it, and you didn't have to worry about it. You know, if you put it away, you know, you get, have that extra space. So that is that's one of the reasons I, I do a lot of modular stuff, and not only that, but I could take it to a show and thing you know, display it. But it's nice to be able to know that I can move it you know if I need to, if I want to. And the Clinchfield was my inspiration. The Clinchfield in the Western Maryland were my inspirations because they had tight curves, they had tunnels, you know, they had tunnels just like the the Norfolk Southern Pokey Division, where okay. they have they have tunnels coming out you know right in town and. You know, it, it doesn't look silly. You know, sometimes in model railroading, we have to use that artist license where yes. there's all of a sudden there's a tunnel right in the middle of a big city. And how do you disguise <laughs> it? But, you know, if you're doing if you're doing mountain railroading, it, it, it's easy if you use that philosophy. And, and it's a good video to watch because there's a lot of ideas in it, just like you said. Well, I made a decision when I did the scaled prints of how I was going to have this built. 
So the two main lines are the outside is 42-inch radius and the inside is just a little under, well, it's right at 40. And that takes a lot of space. But, you know, again, I was going, well, how are these big cars going to not look stupid going around a 24-inch <laughs> uh, radius? So I made some concessions mm-hmm. and I thought, okay, I'm going to do this with scene blocks. Yeah. And then I became familiar with your work on the background, the photo backdrops. And I went, wow, this could come together to where this whole railroad may be two scenes with scene blocks. So we will see. Uh, There's, do you have a, you've got a hobby store there in Bunker Hill? Yeah, it's it's in Inwood. Yeah, my shop and the hobby shop are in Inwood, West Virginia. Okay, we've got a uh, couple of them here. One is that I found myself going to and and buying because I want to. I mean, I could buy stuff less expensively on the web, mm-hmm. but the proprietor of this one stop is going. I will uh, <laughs> honor any Walters, for instance, pricing. Uh, he said, now I'll order it for you. I said, okay, let's do that. Because that's what I did at Unfair with Trains. I yeah. bought stuff through Bob. He's a big O-scale shop. I've, I've never seen this much O-scale stuff in my life. And uh, we were looking at, I was there the other day, and there's this new railroad setting up front. And I went, what is this? A new display railroad? Because he has a yeah. big three-rail line on the back. He said, nope. I'm giving this to one of the children's units at such and such hospital. Oh, wow. I said, really? He said, yep. He said, I had it setting in my house. He said, I don't use it that much. I mean, it's mountains, it's buildings, it's this and that. And I went, really? He said, yep. He said, I've got to touch up a few things. I said, that is great. I said, there's not a kid out there that's getting excited especially around Christmas. Yeah. And if they've got to be in the hospital, this is bound to put a put a uh, smile on their face, uh, which his generosity there just made me that much more committed to supporting his store. Yeah, that's great. So, and uh, of course, his big thing is remote control. Do you do any remote control? You, like radio control, you mean? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, radio uh, I, I, control. I did on, on the... Uh smaller ON30 spruce layout, a guy named Steve Sherrill was into radio control for his layout, yeah. and also another guy named Steve Fisher. And they got me into it for a little bit there. And uh, once, I, once I decided to, to change scales, I decided it was, you know, I, I wanted to use the sound. I didn't want to have to convert everything to batteries with the sound and the whole nine yards. Okay. So. Okay. But yes, yes, I have. Yeah. Okay. How about like the hovercraft and airplanes, cars, any of that stuff? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's his big thing. Apparently, people yeah. come to because he's got all the parts and stuff. And yeah, you know, it's well, every but, time I'm in there, I'm usually the only model railroader at that time of day, and everybody else is a yeah, well, my need a new propeller for this. And, well, the the shop here, and I'll give him a plug. It's called Loco Joe's Hobby, and he's got a Facebook page, and, and okay. I believe they I believe they have a a, a small website. 
but uh, Joe Joe was at one time the president of the Bunker Hill Train Club, and he put on the Bunker Hill Train Club show, which they still have, and it's a wonderful show. It, it's not not the size of Springfield, but it's a good show. It's a regional show. Joe's hobby shop that he has now. Just like you said, they, they kind of have to offset everything in this day and age with all the RC cars, and he's a big dealer for all that. And he's got a track set up that they're, they're building out back, but it's a real neat store, and, and they, they have everything, you know, planes, trains, uh, RC cars, the whole nine, the whole nine yards. Uh, yeah, that's uh, – you can go up on Lake Pontchartrain along Lake Charm Boulevard up there, and every once in a while you'll see a guy out there. He's got a uh, – some kind of camera mounted to it, and he's doing shoreline uh, movies and stuff, which is kind yeah. of cool. I would do it a lot of times when I take the dog out in the morning and I'm sitting on the back porch with a cup of coffee. I hear the horns uh, through the north or west part of uh, City Park. There's a two track main. Yeah. And so as you go under Marconi, a lot of trains will be there. I don't know if it's they're just waiting for access to a yard or to leave or crew change. I don't know, but I'll hear the horns, you know, the boop, boop moving yeah. forward. And I thought I need to get a hovercraft <laughs> so I can go over there and shoot some, shoot some video because I asked the, the hobby guy I said, where do you go to watch trains? Yeah. And he said, well, you got to be careful where you go. He said, some of the areas are, pretty rough and i don't know anything about new orleans my wife does i do not yeah and i thought well if we could do this with a hovercraft this <laughs> yeah. would be okay might be uh might be safe yeah yeah uh we did we did one with the drone in one of the earlier videos there of this new series on the new layout we did we did some flying out of the shop here and over to one of the local industries and I'll tell you what, it was fun. I, <laughs> I don't own the thing, but but I'll tell you what, it was fun, and and I wish I I wish I did have it, you know. Oh yeah, that's your phone. Yeah, <laughs> I turned it off. Oh, okay. I'm I'm not open right now. It's it's. Oh, it was a business phone. Okay. People uh, always ask, do we do custom work? And and we do. Probably probably 50 percent of everything I do is custom work, whether it's for you know, a private layout or a museum or, or a shop or something like that. But uh, the, the question I get asked most is, can you use customer photos? And the answer to that is possibly. But most people that aren't photographers don't understand that if you just take a point and shoot camera and shoot one photo, you can print it out for sure. But it's not going to blow up into something like, say, you wanted an O scale backdrop that was 20 feet long. It's, one photo is not going to do it. Right. So you have to do them in a panorama style, but that also limits it because the angles you shoot from. If you if you think of if you've ever shot a panorama photo, you're kind of standing still, like you're a, a turret on a gun, yes. and you're shooting from left to right, and you're shooting you know whatever five or ten photos. That when you stitch them all together, it's going to turn into a cylindrical type photo that you have to stretch. And once you start stretching that thing it starts distorting, you know, all the, the, the pixels and, and then it becomes blurry. Yes. So that's, that's why with a lot of stuff that I do, um, I, I do these weird panoramas where I'm in the, in the car or I'm walking and I take a picture and I walk another 30, 40 feet, take a picture, you know, and so on and so on. Some of them I've done, you know, for like a mile. 
to be able to get the proper perspective. Wow. So when I, when I say we do custom work, yes, we can incorporate some elements that you have, like maybe a building, you have a photo of a building you want to add to one of our backdrops, stuff like that. And the, the biggest part of it is doing custom lengths, custom heights, and, uh, you know, rearranging the hillside, making the hillside higher, lower, taking a stream and dropping it, you know, four, six, eight, ten inches. Uh, one fellow has a nice page. Uh, his name is Larry Burke, and he's on Facebook. And I, I can't think of the name of his layout right now, but it's an ON30 layout where he was using the Hickory Hollow series, and he had this deep gorge. So we created a series of uh, backdrops to implement in that one area because it drops and I, I can't remember now I want to say at least 12 inches from the baseline it drops down you know into the gorge okay but it's but it's real it's real neat you know but we do a lot of that and and uh, you know some some other things well that okay that brings up an interesting point so we have the dimension of length maybe you could give people tips on height like my tracks at about 50 inches yeah, choosing the right height. Yes. I, I, I always say, and, and this has nothing to do with, with money or the price of a backdrop, buy the tallest backdrop you can you can put up. Use the tallest backdrop you can because whether you're just viewing it or, you know, you get people say, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to photograph it. I'm not worried about that. But you know what? In this day and age, everybody's shooting photos of their layouts. Sure we do. And, and, yes. and, the, and the worst thing you can do is catch the top of the backdrop in a photo, and it takes away from the realism that you're using on the layout with the backdrop. Right. The, the, the whole idea with our backdrops is, is to give life beyond the layout. And when you expose the edge of a backdrop that's not wide enough or the top of a backdrop that's not tall enough, it just really takes away from, from the picture itself. You know, other, other than if you're you're trying to show here's what it looks like, sure. But if you're photographing it for a magazine or, or you know, to show online or do some video and stuff, the taller the backdrop, the better. Okay. At at uh, at 50 inches, which is uh, I guess what about mid chest height? Yeah. If you're if you're standing there, the last thing you want to be is eye to eye with the top of the backdrop. It kind of defeats the whole purpose of putting you putting you in the scene. So. If you can, if you can go, the most popular height is probably 24 inches. That that that's the most popular height. A lot of guys go 30. If if I could, I would go 30. The tallest standard backdrop we offer is 30 inches tall. Okay. We, we can do customs, you know, 36 and and up to 40 and all that stuff. But uh, you know, we 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 found the most popular sizes are 18, 24, and 30. Okay. Well, I just stood up and guessed at where 30 was and 24 and I went okay he's right yeah 30 would certainly eliminate any problems that golly that would be so dramatic yeah if you watched our video there, there's two videos that I do about model railroad photography and one talks about getting out of the the proverbial helicopter you know, she, she, I mean, most people, that's, it's the truth. Most people will grab their camera, stand there and start shooting pictures. And, you know, you go to train shows and maybe one of a hundred people will kind of squat down and get down to track height and, and shoot like you're actually in the scene. But that's what I always suggest is put yourself in the scene, get down low, you know, eye it up and see to you what would make sense as a height for a backdrop and at uh, my layout's 50 inches also it's right around 50 inches okay and and 24 off of that deck is uh, it's, it's pretty good if i could have gone 30 
I, I would have, but I have to put this thing in the trailer and I have to be able to store it under some shelves. So I wanted to make sure I was able to do that without having to take the backdrop off. Well, okay, that brings up another question then. So if you've got a 24 to 30 inch backdrop, and what would you mount it to? The, the most common thing that people mount it to is masonite. It, okay. it's, it's a good, if you clean that surface and use, what, what I use is Super 77 3M spray adhesive. Familiar it, with it? it yeah, it works. Yeah, it works great. I use it for a lot of stuff, but it works great for applying the standard paper backdrops. We also offer them in adhesive back versions. It's the same same exact high quality matte finished paper, but the thing is, if you buy an eight foot long, thirty inch tall backdrop and it's got the peel and stick adhesive, that's like a giant postage stamp. So you either got to have 10 hands, clean hands. <laughs> let, let, me, let me correct that. 10 very clean hands, because remember, yeah. backdrops are a model too. Uh, 10 hands to put this thing up. But the, the spray adhesive method gives you a chance to actually work with it, and you can pull it back a little bit if you get off track. You know? Okay. My suggestion is use the standard paper. If you have to have the adhesive backing, we have it for you. Okay. What about, is there a sound deadening quality to the backdrop and the mounting i don't know what you have any feelings on that well sound deadening this is a a hard room Mm -hmm. these are plaster walls wood floors and plaster ceiling even though it's 12 foot yeah i can't get these sound locomotives quiet enough (laughs) and i'm thinking i need something that will hopefully absorb some sound so that there's a you know again locality of yeah here's the locomotive i don't want it to sound like it's in my back pocket when it's on the other side of the room now you're you're talking in terms of the the sound decoders and not the the cars and locomotives on the track is that what you're saying yeah not track noise i've isolated that yeah, I, I don't know. I couldn't say that the, the current layout we're doing uh, in, the, in the last one, I mounted on gator foam. Okay. Uh, three-eighths or, uh, yeah, three-eighths inch gator foam. And uh, it's, it's a porous material to some extent, unlike, yeah. you know, the hardboard. But I don't know what kind of sound deadening qualities it could provide. Okay, that was just a curiosity question. Yeah. I, I, I can tell you, on, on the other hand, um, using that foam roadbed, Yes. Is is a sure cure for the the sound of you know train going across plywood, but I'm not using that on the current layout because I found that I don't know if it absorbs moisture, but it seemed like in some areas there was a little you know some dips in the track, and it could have just been an area that absorbs some moisture, and you know I, I don't know. I've used uh, the Woodland Scenics foam outdoors. Yeah, and at the store. I put it on two inches of two different densities of foam. So I had the plywood, then I had a, a dense foam of a, of a dimension and then another foam of a dimension. And those different products killed any kind of resonance. Yeah. So, I mean, you just heard the locomotives. And here I did a similar thing. So all I hear is the, you know, the sound profile of the decoder coming out. I don't hear even yeah. the car's metal wheels uh, going. So, but it's just, I sent a an email off to ESU. I said, 
how do I get these quiet enough? <laughs> I said, I'm down to like 40% volume on the uh, cab forwarded air compressors. How do I shut these things off? Do you, do you have stock speakers in there? No, I've replaced everything. Most of the Dakotas I put in myself. Mm-hmm. And the couple that came with either Tsunami or, or a Bowser with an ESU, Mm-hmm. I have gone in there and replaced the stock units with either a maybe a series parallel setup of sugar cubes oh, yeah. or I go to Railmaster and uh, Jeff makes some incredible speakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's an advertiser with uh, Model Railroad Hobbyist. That's not a problem. But his DSM-8, which is a ported uh, 16 to 35 and a a little bit longer housing is fits inside of an Atherin hood. Hmm. Wow. And then he's got, oh, my PAs, I bought DC PAs. I was not a fan of MTH's electronic, but beautiful locomotive. So yeah. I just bought him as DC, put low sound into him, and used, again, Jeff's uh, 23 millimeter high base with enclosure. Mm-hmm. 28 would work, but the 28 housing was too high because the PA is apparently a little more squat than like an E-unit. Yeah, I I think there's some really good speakers out there. Uh, and the market keeps changing. Uh, a lot of people are uh, just demanding higher quality on that. So, Yeah, I, I swear by those sugar cubes now that I'm back to HO. Yeah. Where, where when I was in HO before, I, I, don't, I don't know if they were available. They could have been, but I don't remember them. But now, you know, the, the ON30 was one thing because I could use a, a 28 by 40 speaker. And, it yeah. you know, it sounds like that G-scale G stuff from, you know, the old school. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, these – and I run two of these things in, in parallel, these two sugar cubes. Yeah. And they just really – I mean, wow. The uh... – I have a, there's a video on YouTube and uh, an Atherin ready to run SD40. Mm-hmm. And it's got a Tsunami. Good thing about a Tsunami, you've got a seven band graphic equalizer. Yeah. So one of the guys on the MRH forums, the sound engineer, and he said, here, why don't you try tweaking it? So these were three 16 millimeter diameter tablet speakers mm-hmm. I got from TVW Miniatures. And George, the guy that owns TVW, he said, wire them series parallel. So I made it a, a mounting board, made an enclosure, put these things in, fired them up through the open fans. Yeah. And in that video, and that's just an iPhone video, you can hear that V16 grunting at idle. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a... Do you have any of the new 13 by 18 by 13 sugar cubes? Like some people call them Dumbo cubes. No, I I can't remember offhand what size these. Are. I have the box in the back, but I'm kind of tethered to this microphone now. So I okay, can't, I can't well the looking. 13 by 18 by 13 deep. I have a couple locomotives where I've done those in series parallel. Yeah. And again, the growl that you can achieve with it. Yeah. And the turbo wine, plus good horn Leslie five chime or whatever. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, sugar cubes are a good thing. Hey, hang on, Prince. 
she gets on her back and she starts doing that back stretch. <laughs> she wants a belly rub. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Be quiet now. They're not used to being in the shop this long. Yeah. You know. You know what? Uh, if the last video in update five, that I, th I think that's the one where I have the GP9 going across, and those are the actual sounds from the locomotive. Okay. okay. You know, they, they, and that's a TCS Wow decoder with a uh, with with two sugar cubes, but what what I do is I have I have another GP9 in the spruce paint that I'm going to put those speakers I said I had in the back. I just yeah. haven't, I haven't done it I haven't got around to it yet, but I'm going to put those in that and I may do a little video on it showing you know maybe what it sounded like before. I, I don't know how well that would come out on video, but it definitely would be interesting. It definitely sounds a lot better in person. That's for sure. I've done steam for people and been able to access the uh, the weight inside the boiler and, and put a little sugar cube up front yeah. so you get locality up towards where the cylinders and the stack is. I just did that CNO H8, the Allegheny, last week, and I went, okay, I'm looking at, oh, boy, the gear mechanism and everything is up there. I'm going, okay, <laughs> I'm not going to do that, but I did take the uh, a 28 millimeter high base again from Railmasters with its enclosure, yeah. mounted it up under the coal stack, drilled access holes, and then just put a little screen and then put Arizona rock and mineral, whatever. There's a number of people out there have some nice coal. Yeah. And then, so the sound will filter through the coal and uh, got a good deep sound. It uh, works out real well. I so. wish I wish we could run large speakers, giant speakers in these these locomotives. I think sooner or later they're going to come up with a way of of uh, you know weighting it some other way and and making it so you can actually have more ability to to put larger speakers and things like that in there. I mean they're doing a good job with the products they're coming out with now. I'm I'm really happy with it. It's definitely light years ahead of what it was nine or ten years ago. Yeah. Now soundtracks makes surround tracks yeah and what that is it's a standalone unit it has the ability to manage six locomotives and it runs six speakers so you would take your ho railroad there and you would put whatever shelf speaker boast whatever you wanted either yeah. under the table or in your scenery what this does he hasn't Surround checks has a number of sound files, and you go, I want a, you know, V16 turbo EMD. Yeah. So you have to operate it with a Digitrax system. Digitrax make uh, decoders with, uh, my mind just went blank, with <laughs> transponders in them. Oh, okay. And then you use the Digitrack uh, track detection. And so the control unit is monitoring that locomotive as it goes around the, uh, the layout. And it uses a fairly sophisticated algorithm to gradually phase the sound into one and out of another. Yeah. So the sound wow. actually follows the train around, horn. I mean, it's still digital control. Right. It's just that the, the speaker is mounted in the scenery under the layout wherever you can even put a subwoofer channel in there yeah that'd be if great. there's a downside for somebody who's got a big railroad once you go beyond six speakers because you can put these speakers probably eight to ten feet apart yeah. and depending upon the quality of the speaker you still get that phase in without 
quality issues. But if you're bigger than six, you got to buy a whole separate unit. So, you know, you're 2X of price and stuff. But it's, I've seen demos of it, and it's quite impressive. Yeah. I would. Is there, is there a YouTube channel that has a demo? Yeah, I think because uh, I've heard of it, but I have not seen it, and I would definitely be interested in you know maybe do especially for a a display layout that's going to a show. That, oh I think yeah, that would be great. You know, yeah. Uh, Google surround tracks, or go to YouTube and do surround tracks. So that would probably work. Yeah, I'll, I'll definitely look that up. Yeah, I'm to, I'm toying with a bunch of ideas for the layout, uh, possibly doing a working signal system. And when I say working, I mean with with track detection and everything. Oh wow, but, you're going yeah. crazy here. Well, the thing is, it's small enough <laughs> to be able to do that, you know, with realistic budget and a realistic time frame. Uh, I'll definitely have signals on the, on the layout that, that work in some kind of capacity, whether it's for photographs or video, something like that. But whether or not it'll the – the only drawback I see is the removable bridges that are in between the two sections. Because if, if, if for those not familiar, go to our YouTube channel and check out the layout. But it is actually a four by eight layout. It's just split down the middle and pushed apart. And there's two feet of space in between it. So it's a six by eight. And there's bridges, removable bridges inside that you can't see or you won't see. Why well, make that after seeing your original version of that and where you explained how you were doing it? A friend of mine had a five by ten. Yeah. In, in scale, which to me is a lot of space. It is. He said, well, I wish I could make it bigger. And I said, well, look, split it in two and make a couple bridge sections. Then I told him about your videos. I said, yeah, for a couple feet of uh, expansion there, you gain a lot more track. Mm-hmm. So it's uh, just making good use of the space, thinking outside the box, which you do very well. I, gotta, gotta, I applaud you there. <laughs> you definitely have to. And I know all the guys in, in Europe, we have a lot of customers in Europe, they build small shelf layouts and, and they live in their, you know, everything's smaller over there. Houses are smaller, oh, apartments yeah. are smaller. Yes. So they, they have they have to be creative. They have to find ways of of making things look a lot bigger than they are. And and I, I'm a big fan of, of their magazines and as well as Model Railroad Hobbyist also has a lot of uh, – you know, guys from all over the place that just have some great ideas. There are, uh, you know, when I come up here during the afternoon, because it's too hot and humid to do anything else outside, I just, I'll have YouTube on in the background. Uh, there's, you know, besides railroading, yeah, that stuff, there's, you know, for me, there's Bible study, people putting on programs and stuff. So it just, I put it on and it's, it's amazing how much information is there. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I always said if it was not for the internet, I probably I probably wouldn't know much of <laughs> much of anything. Because <laughs> really, that's uh, you know when the internet came along and I had a laptop on the railroad, it just it was like discovering that a library exists. You know, it was just oh my god, it was just so much information coming at you so fast. And then and we I, got into high speed and got away from the dial-up modem. Yeah, made it made it a lot easier to actually enjoy something. Yes, you know, <laughs> it's not infallible now, but it works a lot better. Yeah, that's true. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'll be I'll be the first to say that I watch everything. I, I I'm on <clears throat> excuse me the message boards. Yeah. I'm on, 
I'm on uh, I'm on all the message boards, model railroad hobbyist, and, and a you know a slew of others with with along with Facebook and YouTube channels, and I subscribe to a channel that has interesting content, and and I literally you know people may not think I watch that stuff, but I watch everybody. I try to learn something from everything I watch. There's there's always somebody putting out something that's you know other than just somebody running a train around a layout. There's there's always somebody explaining something or yeah. describing something they discovered or found or you know, there's a lot of information out there, and, and I know there's a lot of older fellows that that don't like to get on Facebook for some reason, but, you know, you're missing out. I mean, oh. the message, message boards are great, but once Facebook really took off, and, and I know Facebook's been around longer, but the last last five, six years especially, there's just so many people that, that don't do websites anymore, and they put everything on Facebook, and, and get on there and take a look. There's a lot of stuff. It's very interesting. Yeah, a lot of the uh, historical societies, uh, Southern Pacific, Santa Fe, and so forth, have big uh, Facebook yeah. presence there. So, yeah, that's great. It is great. Tremendous resource. So, all right, what else? <laughs> you tell me. <laughs> you're, the, you're the host. So, um, it's, you know, what, 300 feet away, I'm going to say. And I said, what can you see in this picture? You can see... You can't see the tie plates, but you can see the joint bars from 300 feet away, which is nominally three feet away in HO scale. So you can see the detail. The reason why you're saying that you can't see it is because it makes you feel better because you don't want to put it on. <laughs> so yeah. the lazy so please, man way, right? Yeah. Huh? What? That's the lazy man syndrome. Yeah, you know, which is okay. I mean, because you know, if you put joint bars an entire on an entire, you know, huge layout, it would take you forever, and you go to your mind. And I understand that, but you know, mm-hmm. take a section. the The first section that people will stand there and see as they come down into the railroad room, and do that up to a very high level, yeah. and basically. Um, Railroad ties, except under certain circumstances, are two colors. They're white or brown or somewhere in between. Um, They aren't yellow. They aren't, you know, green. They're not – they're brown or white depending on how long ago it rained, uh, how long they've been installed. There's a lot of things. But, you know, they're variations of white or gray or brown. And, you know, people get all – you know, fancy with how they weather ties, and really, you can get away with weathering tie. I, all I use is a white pastel pencil, mm-hmm. and you just put the white pastel, and then okay, if you don't have enough, we'll put more on, <laughs> <laughs> and then you wipe it off with your finger. You, know, you wipe it, you you wipe it off or in. You kind of you know push it in with your finger, like you said. It it doesn't need to be complicated, yeah. Um, but you need to do something, you know. And I some people kind of overcomplicated it and I think you know they kind of put some people off I can't do that it's really not that hard I'm over do I need to say over (laughs) yes you do you're good over (laughs) or out well well Jim I just want to follow up and, and say I think there's a lot of guys out there that are just afraid of messing things up you know, and Maybe. and and there's a lot of cool techniques that are like water based and they're 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 sort of like, you know, if you mess up, you wash it off, you know, mm-hmm. 
or it's like, I mean, much of what I do, you spray bomb the paint, the best, the best mainline overall color I found is, um, Rust-Oleum Camel Brown. Just really? Spray paint everything. Yes. Yeah. It's the best. It's a, it's like an almost matched. It's a great tie color. It's a great rail color. And then just spray all your track with that. And then Camel go- Brown? Camouflage brown, yes. Camouflage, okay. Camouflage. I'm sorry, not camel, but camo. No, one hump or two hump. (laughs) Yes, camouflage brown. Okay. Can be hard to find. It's hard to find up here because apparently people don't spray their pickup trucks camo, but, you know. Should be able to find a Louisiana. This is actually the sportsman uh, paradise. Yeah, Yeah, you should be fine. But it's, it's a dark brown color. That's what, um, oh, Mike Confalone uses. He just spray bombs his. The only thing I will say, it doesn't stick to the web of the rail very well. So you have to hit it with a couple of coats. Yeah, you have to hit it with two coats. Okay, but he's just misting it on, right? Oh, no, he, he, no. Oh, yeah, he spray bombs it. Oh, yeah. Okay. So so he's just spraying the whole thing. Everything. The ties, the rail, the whole thing. Yep. And yep. that's, and that's just, what I do as a precursor. I do it with, with a flat black. That yep. way it covers anything and gives bite yep. to whatever okay. else. Yep. Yep. And then you just weather it from there. But if you don't weather it, you say, well, you know, it's kind of sort of pre-weathered. The ties are the right color yeah. for relatively new cut, relatively new cut ties. Um, not brandy new ties, but relatively new ties. And then just weather them from there. And it's really, and you can dry brush with a light gray. You know, works ju- works as well as a, a pastel pencil does. Okay, well, this the track that I did here. I took it all out into the garage and hit it with a deep brown. wasn't camouflage, but it was a deep brown Krylon, and then I misted it lightly from the side to get the web of the rail, and then from top down to get to top, and. You know, I'm going, all right, I may vary this with some uh, powder after seeing the results from uh, Joey's video. But, yeah, for doing a lot of track, because there's double main line. And the other thing is I only do the viewable side. You know, why spend paint and time on the backside of the rail that's never going to be seen? You you never know. (laughs) You never know if it will. Yeah, as soon as you get yeah. that camera out from on top in front of your <laughs> flat car, there, Paul, you'll be like, "Gosh darn it!" <laughs> you know, you know, I had a series of photographs that I did when I had kind of eaten up all the photos of one side of the layout. You know, this was a modular layout, so I could take the pieces apart. I actually moved the backdrops to the other side of the layout. Oh, and I and I photographed it from that, so which gave it a completely different perspective. Like you were you know, on the other, other side of the track. So, uh, yeah, I need to take a look at that video. Cause I always find those interesting. Um, what I found interesting was when I was working on this proto 48 watch, well, that it must be something to do with your voice, Paul, um, that the boys, oh, start the fighting. yeah, the, the boys start fighting over the toy only <laughs> when I'm on a podcast. Yeah. Okay. Really, they really don't do this much. Um, you may think it, they do, but they don't. Um, they only do it when they hear your voice. There's something about your voice. Just unsettling. Okay. Uh, I must be. Um, or they smell our puppy, so maybe. There you go. And um, so I was, um, I wanted to spray paint the ties. Okay. Uh, before I did anything. 
and the the can of Camel Brown I had is, had been sitting around, and I hadn't cleared the nozzle properly, so it um, it was dead. It was dead. So I was like, "Well, I want to do something with this. I'm going to spray. Uh, let me grab something that I've got, and I'll spray it." Yeah. And I had some metallic bronze paint, hmm. spray paint. Metallic bronze. Okay. Yes. Yes. And when I did it, it's like, and I looked at the ties. I was like, it, they look right. They, well, I don't know if they look right, but they looked good because yeah. this, it, they, there was kind of a goldy, goldish color tint to it. Um, and just, it, it gave the, the ties this weird kind of highlight. It was really funny to look at. You, you wouldn't have believed it unless you were standing there looking at it saying, and I showed it to other people and they like, don't know what it is, but it does look right. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a, it's the Krylon uh, hammered bronze or something like that. Hmm. Um, you'd so have it's to like try a sunlight it. glint yeah. effect? Yeah, because there's gold flakes in it. So it's, it's a very dark brown paint. So it's, it's much more like really new ties. Okay. Much newer than the the rust the um, the camouflage paint makes. But Much you could newer. do some tie sections like there had been a tie replacement program. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, cool. Um, I normally like to paint my ties as if they were new, and then weather from there. Because if you don't get around to weathering them, you can always say, "Well, they just replaced all the ties." <laughs> um, okay. You know, so, you know, particularly if you've hit it and the rails are relatively weathered, then the tie, you know, if the ties aren't weathered yet, then, eh, you know, they just replace the ties. Okay. You can get away with that. Whereas if you go with, like some people, they'll, they'll, they'll spray it with a flat gray primer, which is okay. I mean, that that's the way that you want to go about it and that's the way you're comfortable with. The problem with that is if you don't finish or you have, you know, some other project pulls you away and you go do something. It looks like you've painted your, your ties brown, gray, you know, as opposed to, oh, no, they're just new ties. That's the way I, yes, that's absolutely the way I wanted it. Um, yes. I thought you were all, always weathered your stuff. Oh, yes, absolutely. But here it's, you know, brand new ties. Let me guess. You just haven't gotten to the weathering. Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny that. Yeah, that neither confirm or deny. Uh, yeah, the, like I said, I really need to see that video because I, I, I'm always fascinated to see how people do it. Yeah, how many videos are up there, Joey? I know there's you've done a lot of work, but I, I want to say there's either fifty or close to fifty. Okay. And only I think three of them show you know stuff about the the backdrops, like how to install your backdrop and thing. But the rest of them are all how to and and there's oh three or four rail fan videos and some of them some of them have some some age old footage of me working on the railroad and things like that and just kind of pointing out things and how it relates to modeling and and that sort of thing well you've got uh, at least what a couple that show where you're visiting uh large layouts and stuff like that mm-hmm yeah okay. there's yeah there's one uh uh layout it's uh it's a big layout in the Baltimore area, and it's um, Howard Zane's layout. It's okay. HO scale, and, and that's of course that's been around and been in model railroader and focus of Alan Keller. One of a couple of two or three Alan Keller videos, great model railroads, 
and it's just one of those things that you just can't see the whole thing in one visit, you know. It's a, I tell you what, it's a, the site and the YouTube is a, is a heck of a resource for modelers on your how-tos. You, you, you have a knack for the communication and you simplify some of these subjects where people get overwhelmed by, gosh, how am I ever going to do this? And I give you credit because you go in there and you make it simple. Well, I appreciate that. And I'll tell you what, we have a lot of fun making the videos, but if if people weren't responding to them and telling me that they're getting something out of it, I probably wouldn't do it. Yeah. It's it's not for personal ego or showing or anything like that. I, th I think if you watch a couple of them, you can see that we're genuinely having fun doing it. And that's what really makes the difference. And when you go to train shows, you'd be really surprised at the number of people come up and you know, they, they, they laugh, you know, the jokes we cut up in the videos and things, and they always mention that stuff, and makes you feel good. Well, I mean, and on one of the first ones on the layout, is that your local hobby store? Um, you mean the recent one? Yeah, that's, yeah, he was just, he was in the same block as my photography and print graphic shop, and um, he he actually it was president of the Bunker Hill Train Club, you know, for okay. a long, long time, and they have a big layout over there. Okay. But uh, he opened up a hobby shop as a part-time thing, and he's trying to do it full-time now. So that's uh, that's great that you've got there. You know, it's a dying breed, and that's that's sad. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely tough, and I know for them, if it was just trains, that they probably, you know, I think they've been around two years now, but they probably wouldn't be in business if it was just for trains. But they've gotten into the RC cars and the, yes. the, uh, the drones and things like that. And, and it supported his habit or <laughs> hobby, you know, yeah. model railroading. So he's able to do that. and He's able to offer stuff at a good price. Well, it's like here, a friend of mine who used to live in New Orleans had told me about the, uh, the one hobby store, Hobbs, mm -hmm. down an airline. And I did a Google search and came up with Mike's Trains. It's all the way in Kenner, but, you know, it's now it's becoming a Friday ritual. I drive over to Mike's Trains. There was a Marshall University connection with Mike. And while he does O-Scale, and like like you said, out of necess necessity, he does a lot of the remote control stuff and so forth. When I look around his store, because he's got stuff everywhere, it's yeah. not all confined to one area. I have found some real gems in there. He's got some good pricing. Yeah. Uh, I found some of Chris's Genesis uh, F89, you know, the original auto carriers, Chris, back in yeah. the uh, 60s and 70s before they became enclosed. Mm -hmm. Get them for like 42 bucks. That's as good as anybody on the Internet. Yeah. So yeah. I bought a couple. I guess you kind of have to in this day and age with the, the competition coming from online. But, yeah. You know, if, if you can do it and, and get away with it and, and enjoy doing it, but you still have to sell other types of products, then so be it. Yeah. You know, and that's great. Yes. Some, something for everybody, right? That's right. I'm, I was happy when I saw that little insert into the that video that, good grief, in Bunker Hill, they've got a hobby store. Yeah. That's great. How did it get its name? Uh, the owner is named Joe Van Orsdale. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me clarify. <laughs> the town, Bunker Hill. Oh, oh, I, I be honest with you, I have, I, I okay. know that uh, one of the first settlers in West Virginia uh, had two, uh, two first names, Morgan Morgan. I know he was one of the first settlers. <laughs> I don't know where the Bunker Hill came from, but whenever I, whenever I say that to somebody, I'm talking to them on the phone, they go, oh, that's where the, the Revolutionary War battle was. No, no, that's, that's not a different Bunker. 
Yes, that was here. We have a Bunker Hill monument. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and if you know anything about Bunker Hill, it wasn't actually on Bunker Hill. It wasn't? No. Oh, gosh, my whole life has been a lie. Where was it? Oh, it was, I think it's Reed's Hill. The name of it was Reed's Hill. I mean, the, the details are essentially right, but it's not on Bunker Hill. It's next to it. Okay. You know. Well, Joey, then, so if you had become Yardmaster, mm-hmm. all right, was that with Norfolk Southern or no, CSX? That, that was with Amtrak. Okay. They they came they came I guess they were having a hard time finding qualified yardmasters, okay. so they came. Uh, I don't know if I saw it in an email or something that they were hiring in D.C. Washington okay. D.C. But I you know I was a conductor at the time on Norfolk Southern working out of Manassas, Virginia. Okay. It was the Washington Washington division, and I had went to Norfolk Southern right around the time of the merger. Okay. But it was getting to the point where you know in. Jimmy knows this. Working on call has its drawbacks. <laughs> and uh, I, th- I thought being a yard master, you know, would give me some sort of stability worth of, you know, job schedule. Right. So when I started working here, I actually held, for the first two years, I held the swing shift, you know, which was like uh, Sunday and Monday, uh, second shift, you know, Wednesday and Thursday, midnight, and then one day shift. So, you know, that was a long struggle doing that. But it, it was exciting. It was interesting. But the bad thing was it was in D.C. and it's very crowded and packed. And so your your wife and your home, though, were in Bunk, Bunker Hill during that time? No. At, at that time, I lived in uh, Rockville, Maryland. Okay. Yeah, just outside of D.C. I lived in Rockville. Yes. And before that, I lived in Baltimore and I worked for CSX out of Baltimore. Okay. So I'm one of those one of those people that have worked for you know a few different railroads and to be honest with you when I when I first did that and changed over railroads I thought oh my god you know how many people have done this you'd be surprised at the number of people that have worked for multiple railroads and just you know when their job gets abolished or yeah. you know or somebody in their family needs to move they can get a job somewhere else but it's a it's an interesting industry and there's there's really there's always work if you go somewhere else well you know. <laughs> the, uh, of course, Huntington's a railroad town, and that's where yeah. I grew up. Yeah. And my mom worked for CNO. And when they transferred, this is into the 60s. I was in college by then. Transferred the support services that she did to Baltimore. I said, oh, wow. And she goes, nope, your father's employment is here. I am not moving. <laughs> and that was, but she'd been with him like 25, 26 years. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't blame her though. When you, when yeah. you have yeah. a home, you know, at, it's hard to just at, pick up. At and move. 25 years though, you'd be like, yep, I'm done. <laughs> After 25 years on the railroad, you're sort of kind of vested. You've got enough in the railroad retirement. Yeah. And at that point, you'd be like, yeah, I don't need to move. Well, then she went, worked for the government, for the VA for another 15 years. Yeah. But she goes, no. I said, well, what about norfolk western because they were in huntington and she goes nope uh, if i can't work for chesapeake in ohio i will not be in the railroad industry so i mean she was very polarized on that i have a friend that i worked with out of manassas on norfolk southern he was the yard clerk yeah and when, when they started I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with the cyo centralized yard office thing they got going they they cut off a lot of the clerks in the local you know areas and had to shift them somewhere else, or they could go to another craft. But uh, this guy, Bill Cantrell, he had been on the railroad. I, he probably had 25 years as it was, and he ended up going to 
from Manassas to Shenandoah every day to work out of there, and that was two hours away. Wow. Until they cut, yeah, and they cut the job off over there and gave them a choice. You can go into train service or you can you know, go into the signal department or you can move to Atlanta. And needless to say, he's been in Atlanta for 10 years now. Wow. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's just totally different uh, job realities now than like when I got out of college and got a real job, got out of the part-time pool. You need to understand when you work for the railroad, um, the reason why people work for the railroad yeah. is the retirement is particularly good. Yeah. Um, we pay more than most normal you know, most people do for Social Security. Okay. It's similar to Social Security, but we pay more, but railroad retirement is solvent. Yeah, and it's, it's, it was and or is 50% taxable after retirement. Is that correct? I don't know. It's... It's yeah, you not, make you make more after retire after the day after you retire than you did when you're actually working. Yeah, I mean the if you're in the railroad for 35, 40, 30 years, I think I think you have it's got to be thirty years. Um, in the railroad for thirty years, you will retire making fifty thousand dollars a year. If you're married, your wife gets half of that, so you met, you're taking home seventy five thousand a year retired. That's why that's why guys put up with. The foolishness that is the railroad. Um, so I would, <laughs> yeah, I would. You know, you know, on, there's, on one, there's people on one, coming out of college that don't make fifty grand a year. Yeah, on one hand, I had people telling me, "Get out while you can, get out while you can," and then the other guy would tell me, "Nobody leaves the railroad. Are you crazy?" Yeah, well, yeah, I, yeah. There's, they, yeah, it's very different. It depends on what you want your life to be. It's just, yeah. it's. It's it's in this work, day and age, it, it doesn't work for the married guy with kids unless you don't want to be around your family. Well, I mean, or you go work for a commuter railroad in your home and you. Yeah, you, yeah. Or, you, yeah, you know, yeah exactly. I have a job now. I have an assignment now working for the Boston commuter rail system. I go to work at 730 in the morning. I come home at six ish Monday through Friday, Monday through Friday, 730 to six. And, and on the and working for the railroad, having a relatively normal schedule, and I only work is seven miles away. So yeah, when I was when I was working out of Manassas, it literally would have taken me probably. Well, let's see. I started uh, Norfolk Southern Manassas in 1999, and I heard that uh, Jim Underwood just retired. So he had one of those. He had one of those regular jobs as a conductor. He didn't have to be an engineer. But thinking about it, you'd, you'd probably have to spend 15 years to get the seniority to have a, you know, regular, you know, local pool job or local job instead right. of being in a road, road pool. You know, I was in a road pool and I right. had a regular job in the road pool. But that that's know. tough. Um, I was I mean, I worked for CSX and it was I've made this comment. It was relatively easy being at the end of the line. So Boston is the end of CSX. Yeah, right. Right. So we originated trains. Yeah. As opposed to being at Selkirk, where the sh trains show up, yeah, whenever they show up. So you're in a pool, you get called whenever. And then you know there was the sitting in the hotel for 36 hours, only getting paid for eight of it. Yeah, um, it's not necessarily a bad hotel anymore. They used to be really pretty skanky. The hotels are okay now. Oh no, the hotels, the the the, the quality of the hotels, that like the Conrail hotels and stuff, are epic, epically bad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, oh, I mean, I'm 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 sure you've got some stories too, but they just 
they used to be epically bad, and now they just can't get away with it. <laughs> so, uh, an outfit named Conrail, Jim, you got to wonder, you know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I, like the, the Conrail, you know, they, they would have the, you know, the Y or whatever. The, I think they called it the Y. I am not sad I missed it. Well, um, I had a I had a real bad reality check when I started with Norfolk Southern, and it was right after the merger, and they took over all those trains out of New York and, you know, going south, and it was one of those, you know, so, so crazy that nobody knew what was going on, and you literally would get on a train and sit on it and not turn a wheel for the 12 hours, get off, and then uh -huh. sometimes you'd get called back right to that same train. Yep. Yeah, it was just crazy. Uh, the, the great story... Um, I believe he's still alive. And the, uh, another thing about railroad retirement is it's not unusual um, that people won't leave. They'll die on the job. Yeah. So, so really, yeah, yeah, they'll die on the job, which means there's another, you know, there's so many people that don't take advantage of it because they stay on the job because the job pays well. And they may like it, and they, you know, they may be accustomed to it. So they stay on the job until they die, and they, they, I mean, it's un, you know, it's, it's called, you know, you die in the seat. Yeah. Wow. And um, so they're not taking advantage of. There's a lot of guys that don't take advantage of the retirement. So, um, because they die before they get it. Um, <clears throat> that's not at all uncommon on the railroad. Um, but uh, oh, now I wish I could remember what I was going to say. Um, but that was a good point, and I, maybe I'll maybe I'll remember what I was gonna say. But uh, yeah, ooh, shiny. Uh, if you guys keep talking amongst yourself, I may remember it and, and yeah, pipe it. Well, you know it was funny. Oh, when... oh no, no. Oh, okay, George Munger. Um, he, you know, when CSX started, they didn't quite get the whole Conrail thing. And didn't really understand how far away Boston was from Cleveland. <laughs> and so really? <laughs> he was he that was escaped on, him. Yeah. He's on the spare board. He gets a call from crew and said, um, yeah, Mr. Munger, we need you to report to uh, such and such in Cleveland at this yard at this time. And he said, Cleveland. Yes, we need you to go and you know, uh, man, this train in, in the, you know, like nine hour drive. Well, let me finish. Uh, and he said, okay. He hung up the phone and he went back to bed because the drive was 12 hours. And so by the time he got there and the way the hours of service works is that you're deadhead to work. So if I get called to a different terminal, say they called me and said, we need you to go to Rockport. Um, I can't work 12 hours in Rockport. Um, there's a deadhead that they have to add on. So I can only work, say, ten and a half hours. Unless they put you to bed. No, 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 no. The, the deadhead to work counts against towers of service. So if your drive to work is 12 hours, then you're outlawed when you get there. So you'd have to just turn around and drive back. They wouldn't put you in a hotel? Can't. They can't. They can't put you into a, into a release because all of that time counts against your, tie, your hours of service. So the moment that you get somewhere after a 12-hour drive, you're outlawed. And you know, particularly if it's a yard job, 
he just drove home. I mean, you know, he's just like, I never went because, and I charged them for it and they paid me. They paid him for going and he, and he never got out of bed and they called him twice. Wow. They called him to do the same thing twice. But yeah, this is when CSX first took over Conrail. Mm. They didn't quite understand where all the terminals were. And he's like, yeah, it was pretty funny. I just picked the phone up, rolled over, went back to bed, charged them. They paid me. But yeah, the way that hours of service works is the, um, the deadhead in the beginning of your shift counts against hours of service, and the deadhead at the back does not. Kind of funny. But that's why when they would call me and say, Mr. Lincoln, are you qualified in Springfield? Why, yes, I am. Would you like to go be the conductor for the, uh, the, uh, the, the Springfield switcher? Yes, I would, because they paid you auto miles plus the deadhead there and back. So you'd get the eight hours plus three hours worth of driving plus the mileage to get there and back. So, oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, I will absolutely drive to Springfield every day that you want me to do that. I will do so. But that didn't happen very often, unfortunately. Has someone woken up to the reality of these situations yet? Oh, yeah. No, this was like back. Like I said, this is just when CSX took over Conrail. Okay. But that type of thing, what, what the way that worked is there, there are extra boards. There's an extra board in Springfield. There's an extra board in Worcester. And there's an extra board in Framingham. So I'm on the extra board in Framingham. Uh, if they expend everybody in the extra board in Springfield and Worcester, then they get to me. So, or no, I think I was out of Beacon Park. So I was on the, the spare board out of Beacon Park. So I'm out of Boston. And so they've gone through. They just don't have any bodies available. So the closest body they have available is me in Boston. It's only an eight-hour ship, so it's not a problem. It isn't, you know, they... You know, they're not going to put me hours of service or anything like that. So it's not a problem. It's just, you know, we need somebody to fill this position. You're the closest body that we have. So you're the guy that we have to send. If you'll do it. I didn't have to do it. When they get to you and you're out there, you know, when you're 100 miles away, you don't have to do it. You're stupid if you don't. But, but you didn't you didn't have to. They asked you at that point, you know, would you mind going? Absolutely not. <laughs> Take it when you can get it. Absolutely, because it didn't happen that often. I mean, that was a nice day. You show up, and because of the nature of of everything, uh, the, the one or two times that happened, the the engineer ended up getting overtime because of the way when I showed up and how the timing was, he ended up getting a half an hour overtime. So he said, yeah, I love it when somebody comes from Boston because I ended up, they never let me have overtime unless I get somebody from Boston. <laughs> well, they were happy. As long as you knew your job, they didn't. It was fun. It, you know, the one nice thing about that, it was different. Not the same old running a van train back and forth from Boston to Beacon Park. I mean, Boston to Selkirk. It was nice to do something different. And you got compensated appropriately. So that was not so bad. And to think in, uh, so you worked for CSX in, in 99, is that what you're saying? No, I worked for CSX in, from 2007 to 2011. Oh, I got you. Yeah, when, when they first when they first had the merger with, uh, with Conrail, if you remember John Snow, who used to be the CEO. Yep. And then mm -hmm. he was a uh, secretary, uh, transportation yep. secretary. He actually came to Baltimore and 
they, they assigned a bunch of us from the different crafts to go into the meeting and listen to him talk about the merger. And he promised everybody, you know, that we have this thing completely figured out. There's not going to be any problems and this, that, and the other. And to add insult to injury, in this meeting, there was a guy in front of me who was, you know, drinking a Slurpee. And he kept making that. He kept making this slurping sound, and every time he did that, John Snow would look over, and he was thinking I was doing it. So, so you know, I didn't want to raise my hand. I kept ducking every time this guy was, you know, drinking the slurpee. But I thought nice. I'd tell you that little story there. Yeah, very very nice. Yeah, just the you know the main problem with what I do now I mean I've been there for 5 years so I'm fully vested you know I make I'm at 100% and you know I have enough seniority well the basic thing is not that I have a lot of seniority it's just nobody really nobody senior to me wants the job I have yeah and why? huh why because of the middle trip you're constantly running where the the senior people they want the one with the release so mm-hmm. Uh, there are two jobs that go on duty at four in the morning. They get done at at the same time I do. Yeah. Um, but you only do you do one round trip to Franklin, plus a trip in the middle. And all you know, both of the trips in the middle are really short ones. They're like forty five minute each way. Yeah. The one I do, it's a straight day, so I'm on duty for ten hours and thirty four minutes every day. But the middle trip, you go to Worcester, so you're it's an hour and a half each direction plus 20 minutes sitting there loading passengers. And when I had those jobs with the releases out of Franklin, um, I would cut hundred dollars in tickets a day. Maybe now on this job, I'm cutting $600 a day, 60 tickets. And that's a lot of tickets. I've done up to a thousand in one day. So, uh, yeah, you're handling a lot of cash. There's a lot of people paying in cash. There's a lot of people that don't know what they're doing. That you know, you get drunks, you get all this other thing. You know, this it's just a long trip, hour and a half each direction. In, in it sounds like I'm whining because you know <laughs> when you come from freight, you're like a long trip, mm-hmm. an hour and a half. You are in an air conditioned train and you're complaining. Yeah, like okay, so I'm a weenie. That's beside the point. What really gets me is these people who've never worked freight and they whine about how horrible the place is. And it's like, you know what? When you walk seven miles a di- in a day, you know, you know, putting together an auto rack train and then the auto rack train goes into the hole and you have to find out which car has the broken hose and the set cars out and do the And so you've walked seven miles on trap rock in the rain in the snow, then you can complain. You know, you, you set cars off in East Brookfield and have to put on 45 handbrakes and it still rolls. Yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> totally point, different. And then I'm like, you know what? The heck with it. I know what the rules say. I'm just going to let these two cuts of cars run into each other and I'm leaving. I put on 45 handbrakes and it's still rolling. The heck with it. I'm, I'm just I'm done walking through snow that's two feet deep and you know thinking your heart's gonna explode and yeah good times yeah when you work freight yeah I mean you know you work freight yeah. and I don't know if you've like gone to work and forgotten your rain gear and oh yeah and been soaked for ten and a half hours you were you were soaked about forty five minutes into your shift and um, when you walked your your feet go squish squish. 
you know, uh, I, I, I comment that it's the wettest I've ever been. And that includes being, you know, swimming in the ocean, taking a shower. I was wetter that day <laughs> when, yeah. when you, when you fall off a tank car into a puddle and you just lay there and you're like, wow, that didn't hurt nearly as much as I thought it was. And I'll just lay here. <laughs> I'll just lay here in the puddle and, you know, it's not really not that wet anyway. Let me just recover from the fact that I fell off the side of a train. Well, I'll tell you, after all these years, I I can't say that I miss it. I, I maybe right. miss the road trains in between the yard boards, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But, but uh, you know, the, the, the calls and the hours, I yep. don't miss any of that. Nope. Especially not in freight, you know. No. Um, I missed, you know, I miss yard switching kicking cars and stuff like that it was a really you know we only had one freight train a day so you only had like 20 or 30 cars maybe 50 cars to switch wasn't wasn't hard you know you went out you did a couple of industries and you came back that wasn't hard um there was but there's a lot of it i don't miss i don't miss doing auto rack trains in the middle of the night putting trains together that really somebody else should do but they don't you know, they don't, so you end up having to do it. And then the management saying, why are you taking so long? Well, I'm following the safety rules. Because if I don't follow the safety rules, you're sitting in the bushes seeing whether I do or not. Hmm. Yeah, I don't miss all that foolishness. Well, I'll I tell you what, I guess I got, I got lucky and I never had to really work their extra board, maybe for, you know, a month at a time or something. But yep. it was, there was just so few people and there was so many trains after the merger that I got mm-hmm. lucky and I got on these pool jobs where, I mean, pretty much you ended up sitting on the train between the yard boards, you know, you'd, you'd sit in the sidings a lot of times and you'd go out, you know, over your hours of service and have to sit there. But, um, you know, we always strive to get those jobs where you could get home. And, you know, that was always important trying to get back home. As much as I loved it, you know, being out there, I wanted to get home. I wanted to be able to. Absolutely. I mean, I totally, I mean, that's, that's, you know, being home every night, being home every night and having weekends off. Yeah. Uh, I think I'd probably be dead <laughs> at CSX before that was going to happen. But then again, a lot of our work has dried up. You know, they yeah. they moved a lot of work to their Selkirk jobs. They don't – the, the CSX just isn't – a lot of guys have moved from CSX over to commuter rail. Yeah. A lot. A lot of the engineers, uh, some of the conductors are coming over now. And, so. and in recent years, they're doing a lot of cuts where I have a good friend, Chris Hazen, down in Tennessee, and he got cut off working for – CSX only old Clinchfield, and I, I don't know how many employees they had there. It had to be a couple hundred, you know, T and E people, but they got cut off. And I guess luckily he had enough seniority where he went to work at a distant terminal. But there's a lot of guys that are out of work, and, and you know I feel for them, you know, after all these years, and especially in living in a rural area like that where you don't have, you know, it's not like being in Boston or Baltimore or something like that where there's a lot of other jobs. Right. I mean, there's, yeah, other options. I mean, I, I always, I noticed that on your videos that you have the rail fan in the Clinchfield. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is pretty apropos since Clinchfield is closed now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's good for you having that up there. I, you know, I never had the chance to go rail fanning out there. And, you know, you, you're right. You feel bad for those, those guys that are out, you know, doing, you know, working out there and don't have a job anymore. And, not like that there's anything else to do. Right. Well, you kind know, last, with... last, year, last year when we, we came back from one of our trips out west, we, we spent the last week in North Carolina there, you know, right near the Clinchfield. 
And I remember saying to myself, my God, where are all the trains? Because you used to go there and camp, and you could just hear trains all night long. And we went into Spruce Pine, where the railroad runs through, and went to a bluegrass and, and barbecue festival. And I said, where are all these trains at? And, of course, a train came through, and I you know, got a video of it and you know, made a joke about it. But, you know, and then, what, six months later, you, know, you get the news that the, the Clinchfield's closed. It was very sad. And sad for all the guys that I know down there. Yeah, never would have thunk it. Mm-hmm. Never would have thunk it, but that's, you know, that's the, the decline in coal. That'll do it. Did the uh, Norfolk Southern take over any of their uh, routes? Any of their runs? Uh, you mean down on the Clinchfield? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. You know, I, I've heard people say that they rerouted a lot of the trains that originated up in uh, up in Shelby. I think they rerouted them some, some different route. But okay. I don't, I don't know. There's a guy on, on Facebook, and I can't remember his name right now, but he's been posting a lot, you know, of the small traffic that they are running, and I don't think it's from end to end, but, okay. you know, originating in the south, going up to a certain point, and, you know, like in Kingsport or something, grabbing cars and going back. But Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at least they're doing something, but I don't know the extent of it. Yeah, a friend of mine uh, went down, sold all of his HO stuff, and he said, I just can't do this in HO. I don't have the room. So he's in N-scale. And I went, <laughs> okay, that's true. Because, you know, you think about half the size of HO. Yeah. And you go, oh, yeah, I could really do a lot of it. You know, when you've been doing this for years and years, and you've got 30-some Axion boxes full of right. cars and another 25 proto boxes full of cars and articulated they got chris's big boys for heaven's sakes i go that man. makes me happy to hear that paul yes sell them <laughs> and go to proto 48 proto 48 yes, let, them yes. to, let, let them go to a better owner and move on to bigger and better things you know if i if i had the room uh jim i tell you what i really would do something like proto 48 but you know unfortunately till i win that lottery or, or make it big can you go outside can you do it outside <laughs> no, no, and, no, and it's it. And to be honest with you, you know, sure, I could build as big as a display layout as I wanted, but then then I have to buy another trailer. So everything kind of has to work with what I have, okay. And the available shop space where I store it, the you know the, what fits in the trailer, and what I'm able to handle by myself at a train show. Understand? There's a logic there. I know. I had to. Uh, okay. Two trains out here now because I'm doing scenery, but every once in a while you just got to watch a train run. Yeah. And one of them's triple headed because when I ran it at an affair with trains, it had 40 cars behind it. You know, <laughs> here there's maybe six feet of cars. And I'm going, heck with it. I want it triple headed. I'm just going to run slow. <laughs> yeah. So you just adapt. You know, because I said, I'm not selling these cab Fords. I'm not selling the. CNO two six six six. I've got. I'll just make it work. Yeah, the the many considerations you have to make. You know. That's right. So, you, one thing I had to do is go through and reprogram the volume levels on all these diesels. Yeah. Yeah, in a wide open retail store, and then here you can't hear yourself think. So, I had to reprogram a whole bunch of stuff downward. So, but yeah, it's what you do. It's a hobby. Yeah, I know. Sometimes at a train show, 
and I have in the in the ON30 versions of this this layout in the steam locomotives. Yes. I have these these huge speakers in there, and sometimes at the train shows, I'm thinking, is that the, is that the, is the sound on in that thing? Yeah. And I get it. I just like you, I get it back home, and I'm like, oh my god, what was I thinking? Yeah. You know. Yes, I've put uh, Railmasters in a lot of these, so DSM8s and their DHB23s and stuff, and now there are some very large sugar cubes out there. Yeah. And if you do three of them in series parallel wiring, yeah. especially with soundtrack where you've got a graphic equalizer, uh, you can uh, nurse some decent lower mid-range out of them. And, but now I've got to go, okay, I can hear this next door. I've got, you know, the dog is cowering in the corner because it's yeah. loud when I hit the horn. Jeff Fox already said they're they're uh, loud enough so you make the people down the street wet the bed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't you, realize you, there were trains here. Oh no. Yeah. Well, we have. You a, know, hey Paul, just want to say, you know, putting on the earplugs is a level of realism in the layout that we could just do without. You know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Or uh, hook up a Bluetooth system and feed it to uh, headphones. Take the speakers out, but that—that's the next step. Yeah, I keep waiting for the uh, for the industry to move forward and make that very feasible and uh, reliable. So, golly, well, what do you? All right, so you've got a lot of scenery and creating reality, Jerry. What do you? Can you share? What are you looking for in the future? What's your next logical move? Product wise, you know, I, I, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I'd like to do some more styles in each series with different, you know, different structures, maybe, okay. maybe a little bit of different scenery. And I would like to add some more uh, building flats and things like that. I, I be honest with you, when I started doing the building flats and selling them separately, and we're talking just the prints here, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't think they were going to sell. I mean, I, I, I kind of did them just as an adjunct to what else, you know, the other stuff I was doing. Right. But uh, to be honest with you, they sell. I mean, people actually buy them and send me pictures of what they look like on the layout. And, and I'm, you know, I'm real impressed with what they're doing with them. So I really want to get out when I have a chance, uh, you know, maybe down to the city, maybe, uh, you know, maybe do some seaport type stuff. Uh, you know, I, I get a lot of requests for, um, I, I wouldn't say Maine, like the seacoast in Maine, but stuff like that where it's a different vantage point. And, but the thing is, nobody ever tells me what view they want. Are they on a boat looking on shore? Were yeah. they on shore looking out to sea? You know, and and once I cover that, then I can go down and, and take a series of photos and bring them back and work them together and see what I can come up with. That's interesting thing, and and you know, Chris, Chris and I joke about this infamous. Oh no! Put, put, put <laughs> Here it goes. But, no, no, no. But the point is, it's all right. So, you know, I want to do a, uh, uh, you know, a resin kit out of it. Well, mm-hmm. what if they actually sell? <laughs> what, what if, what, what if yeah. I make, you know, I, you know, I make a hundred of them and like a lot of people want them. Yeah. It's like, ah, uh, I don't know. You know, it's, yeah. you know, it's not an eventuality that I'm necessarily prepared for. Yeah. But I mean, I don't think that's going to happen. But you never know. Um, you know, it's like, wow, we've been waiting this for this forever, and 
they, you know, we want a thousand. A thousand? How the heck am I going to deal with a thousand? Yeah, but the real world situation that evolved over the last two weeks is with BLI, that streamlined uh, CNO 464 mm-hmm. Hudson. They said, you know, reserved by the, they sold them out. Yeah. And I thought that was such a specialized train for the, you know, stillborn Chessie post-war. And they brought it out in two paint colors. One was the Chessie color. One was the museum color. They sold them out. So, yeah, your concern is valid, Jim. What if it happens? Yeah, you know, I'm just not really in a position to mass produce them. I mean, even, you know, if once I get off my duff and actually get it finished, you know, then what do I do if it's actually successful? They, what I'm hoping is somebody like Lionel or Atlas will say, hey, right, we want that. And hey, buy maybe it. you could partner up here with Joey. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, with Joey. Oh, oh, okay. I wasn't going to go. I wasn't going to go. I, 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 bust, I, I bust Chris about it all the time, but it's like, yeah, it's not their thing. But that, that's my problem is, you know, it's like, okay, if I do this and then there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to do, what if they're all stinking successful because nobody else makes them? Yeah, that's right. Um, which would be great. But, you know, I've got a full-time job. <laughs> well, you might have two. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That'd be See, great. Have to have to leave the railroad to make resin kits. Somehow, I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, that's, oh, that's yeah. the hard thing about, about what I do with the backdrops is I could never sell this to another company unless there was a person on board that was a graphic artist and, and really had a knack and, and knew how scenery worked and the railroad worked, you know, but it's not a product like a, a uh, something you can make with a jig or, you know, a machine or something like that. Maybe even even like a kit you could take. I could take any of my kits and hand them off to Jeff Grove over at Carolina Craftsman, and he could cut them and sell them himself. But the backdrops, I'm kind of stuck having to do it myself. Mm-hmm. I guess that's yeah. a good thing and it's a bad thing, you know. Right. Because yeah, what if something happens to you? Exactly. You know, or so. your wife's. Yeah, wrapping up her PhD, so I don't think she's going to want to make kits. <laughs> no. Hey, let yeah. me. What what drove the selection on your structure kits of the uh, the little cabins? Um, every 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 kit you see was pretty much built for the layout I was building at the time. And okay. All, yeah, and and all those designs came from what fit in the specific space that building needed to be in at the time. So, you know, like the country store, you know, I needed a building to fit in that one spot. And I basically just, you know, measured, you know, what what kind of uh, footprint I had and went from there. Same thing with the, the, um, I call, I call it the post office, but it's that little, you know, country cabin or country store. Yeah. But um, you could use it for a bunch of different things, but it was the same thing. It was really the need for a building to fit in a space that I had. And, okay. You know, once I built it, then saw, hey, can you make me one? You know? <laughs> and just so on and so on. Well, shoot. Do you accept PayPal? <laughs> I do. Oh, God, <laughs> PayPal right, I and any major credit card, checks, or cash. All right. I tell you what, I think we'll do some business here. Because one of our early uh, emails, you mentioned you were more leaning towards the Mountaineers than uh, the herd. Oh, yeah. I've let this slide. <laughs> I know. 
Yeah, I'm I'm a diehard Mountaineers fan, but of course, in the last few years with with Dana Holgerson, I think there's 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 been a lot of us that probably said there's a lot to be desired. But but we're not coaching the team, and we're not we're not the ones picking and, and recruiting the players. So sure, we we can say anything we want on all the message boards, but when it comes down to it, you know, the guy's got to do the job, and and probably any coach has to do the same job. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be back in uh, Huntington for my 50th high school reunion in October. And uh, I want to make sure I get by campus and note all the changes and stuff there and see some friends. Because a lot of us went to, there's a couple of them. I mean, we were elementary, junior high, high school, and then college together. So a lot of long-term friendships. And Facebook facilitates, you know, maintaining those connections. So, looking forward to it. Well, Doreen's niece uh, recently graduated from uh, Marshall, and cool. she's a she's a psychologist now, <laughs> and she's living in the uh, I don't I don't know if it's the the Huntington or maybe what's the town right across the river Ashland or something. Well, Ashland in Kentucky, and then you got Chesapeake and South yeah, Point, yeah, Ohio, that, that area there. Well, you know, my wife's bachelor's uh, was in psychology, and then then she got into medicine. So, you know, watch out where she may go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't know where we're going to end up. You know, once once she graduates and we, you know, put all our our ducks together and see what we got. She's she's definitely going to stay in the education field somehow. And well, sure. Yeah, we've done we've done a lot of research, and and she's been kind of visiting some of the colleges. We went out to uh, recently. We went down to Elkins and we were camping. And of course, I went on the, uh, you know, the excursion train there, the New yes. Tiger Fly, which which was wonderful. And I recommend it to anybody, except don't go the weekend that we go. But because um, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're definitely going back for one of the fall, you know, foliage excursions. Well, you know, the New Orleans Saints, their training camp is at uh, Greenbrier. Yeah, yeah, I, I do know that, and. Um, I, I tell you what, even, even the saints, I'm not a, I'm not a saints fan, but I would love to get down there and check that out. <laughs> we used to go to Frostburg a lot, you know, for the, for the Redskins and, and, you know, up to Carlisle and those places and watch the teams. My dad liked, uh, Lou Grosa and he liked, uh, Jimmy Brown. So we were always Cleveland Brown people and it just stuck with me and then ended up living in Cleveland for a while. Yeah, use those old ties that become a tradition because of your parents and yeah. stuff like that. Whereas my wife, because she went to grad school down here, she goes, "No, you got to have on black and gold for Sunday." I said, "Watch me." <laughs> no, I don't. Yeah, well, where I live now, there's we're kind of right in the middle between Pittsburgh and and Washington and even Baltimore. So there's so many different fans. You know, there, there's Steelers fans, there's yes. Redskins fans, and there's you know Ravens fans. All different. Every one of them, you know, just they're different in the way they, you know, root. Yes. Now, Chris, did you, now that you're in Champaign, have you picked up who? Chicago? Or are you still tied to San Diego or L.A.? Uh, I, I'm not a, a sports affiliate whatsoever. Okay. But but it, what, what cracked me up more than anything is how many Cardinals fans are out there in Champaign. Really? Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of people that still don't want to affiliate with Chicago down in Champaign. That's like a, <laughs> a state of their own. And, you know, there, there's a lot more sensitivity to, to other teams. <laughs> so, wow. 
All right. Well, and college-wise, I mean, whether you support uh, Champagne or not, because I spent a lot more time in Ohio than I did in Illinois there in Champagne. So I was Big Ten. I love Big Ten football, but yeah, I kind of skewed towards the Buckeyes, even though I lived right there in Champagne for a while. <laughs> you know, I, I'll more be or first, less, yes. <laughs> yeah, I'll I'll be the first person that would say I I don't understand West Virginia's move to the Big Twelve, and I always thought that you know where they're located, they should have been in the Big Ten, and yeah. of course, you know, now you got Maryland and all those other you know teams that you know they fit in it, but you know we're Big kind of Ten stuck pseudo with, fifteen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we're we're stuck with Texas and Kansas and and those places. Yeah, that makes. Makes no sense whatsoever, but you know what the heck. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it. it I, I loved the Big East when we were in the Big East, but yes, I, th- I think everybody thought oh, there's no competition here. There's no competition, and then you know now they got competition, but everything is travel. You know, it's just this weird, weird vibe. I mean, it's exciting when they play. You know, Oklahoma. You know, because yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a you know well-known team in the conference, but it doesn't mean it's the best team in the conference. You know. Well, yeah, and LSU, our youngest daughter graduated from LSU, so that's where the biking shirt on my some of my photos came from. SEC football in the fall, yes. Mm-hmm. We're home on Saturday afternoons to watch SEC football. We have the option on Cox Cable for for that because it's it's good football. And you know what I you know what I like in the SEC too. I liken the SEC to American League East baseball, where if the Yankees are playing, if Boston's playing, you know, you're going to watch it. Where if Alabama's playing, you're going to watch it. If Auburn's playing, you're going to watch it, you know. Well, of course, Alabama is Lou Saban. He's a West Virginia boy. Yeah, exactly. Over from your part of the world. Exactly. I only have one thing to say. What? Hook them horns. (laughs) (laughs) Golly, where'd that come from? No, I don't really care about college football at all. But um, uh, my good friend is a Texas Longhorns fan. So, welcome well, home. Now you got the Saints and uh, the Patriots going to be at Gillette Stadium <coughs> there uh, for a preseason game this net this weekend. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thankfully, I won't be anywhere near it. So. <laughs> <laughs> Flying, flying to Atlanta tomorrow. So. Oh, are you? What's in Atlanta? Uh, my friend. Oh, okay. Help him finish a project on his house. Okay. So awfully nice of you. Yeah, well, it gets me away from work. <laughs> What's up with you, Chris? I'm heading to the St. Louis RPM meet this week. Oh, wow. Yeah, I thought about that too. Yeah, I thought about that after I had booked the tickets to visit my my uh, my buddy. And I said, like, oh, it's the same weekend, same weekend as St. Louis. Oh, I could have gone to St. Louis. I just would have had to fly, but I could have gone. But didn't think Flying's not happen. so bad. Flying's not so bad. No, flying's not so bad, but it it's bad after you've booked the tickets. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that, that's kind of problematic, you know. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Every time yeah. I think of the RPM meet, I think about our mongoose sessions. Mongoose? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, mongoose. I was just at his house a minute ago. So. Yeah. Oh, yes. We have a lot of fun at this, Joey. <laughs> Sometimes yeah, we yeah. drift away from model railroading, but we have a lot of fun. So am I the only one working on a layout this weekend? 
No, I'm going to be here working on a layout. Oh, good, good. Well, perhaps, but uh, right now I'm working on that boxcar project that I haven't worked on in months. How's your boxcar coming? Um, <laughs> I, like, like I said, I, I haven't worked on it in months. It's, it's not really far from being able to be have the you know the master done there's a lot of reverse engineering that needs to be done and that kind of bogged me down and then i got involved in other things and okay. you know got away from it but like just today while we've been on the call i've added a couple of things that have made will make it a little bit better easier to to work with and looking at the sides making sure that it's uh what it i had gotten to the point where now i had to do the um the lower door track yeah and fig and figuring out how to make it so that you can actually cast it. So it has to be two two separate parts. Okay. Actually, several separate parts. And then I've got to put in locator pins and all that foolishness. And you know, it was it was getting into the engineering part of it, which, as far as I'm concerned, I can copy things real well. But when you start asking me to create new stuff, yeah, um, it gets it. It's not that I can't do it. It's just not doesn't come naturally. Okay. So it's um, I understand. You know, so like right now, I'm just you know figuring out. All right, I got to do this, and I got to do that, and you know. But as I as I look at it, it, the one nice thing about the the that that the Pullman standard car in particular is there's not a lot of rivet. Um, there's not a lot of rivets. It's all welded. It's very relatively simple as far as cars go. And all the really hard stuff, I've gotten done. The heavy lifting is done. It's just now. Okay. All right, now. Now I've got to take it apart and make it so that I can cast it. Okay. That's, you know, I had the whole thing done. Now you've got to take it apart mentally. That's the thing. <laughs> that's why, you know, I'm not, you know, after I really got into it, I'm not really cracking on Chris very much about it because. No, you haven't. Yeah. Not recently. Yeah, because now that I realize how much thinking work it is, it's like, yeah, all right, whatever. See what it is. <laughs> Jim is trying to uh, browbeat Chris into getting Athern to make a Proto 48 boxcar. Oh, and and I got to commend Jim because he's probably tried every approach known to man for psychology. <laughs> he's tried like guilt trips. He's tried shame. like, shame. You know, yeah, yeah, shame, shame me into doing it. It's just like, all right, okay, well, what's the other approach? <laughs> yeah, nice try, but no. Uh, <laughs> although, although that being said, um, and I think I mentioned this, but the gentleman uh, did contact me and say that he should be getting me the prototypes for the double shelf coupler in O shortly. Whoa. So the double shelf coupler, the lower shelf coupler, and yes. the type F. I should be getting those. He's, he's, they, they should be going to China, and I should be getting prototypes short. So, yeah, you... You, you, you may mock me, but... No, so, you just so, want what you want. Yeah. Uh, Joey. Yes, sir. What is in your <laughs> in your Skype photo? What is the cat doing? <laughs> uh, uh, that That is Doreen's cat, and I believe it was trying to take a bath in the coffee. I think it's... Uh, I thought it was drinking the coffee. I, I needed to find a picture, so I went on Facebook, and I, I said, what is the stupidest picture I have? And, and that qualified. <laughs> so. a, a cat who likes coffee. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I, well, you know, it's, my wife has a uh, one of her business associates 
that lady's dog will not drink water out of a dog bowl. She has to come over and find Meryl's cup with ice and iced tea or whatever in it, and Meryl lets her drink out of it. I said, well, that's okay if you go wash the cup. Oh, no, she's my baby. She wouldn't. I went, oh, golly, no, that just makes my skin crawl. <laughs> it's like that scene from Something About Mary when she's kissing the dog. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, very good. Well, gentlemen, what else are we going to talk about here? Or are we done? Is there anything that you want to bring out about uh, trackside scenery, uh, Joey, that we haven't touched on? No, we've, you've, you've covered quite a, quite a lot of questions there that I, I think maybe give people a good idea of what we do. And there's, I, I won't say there's no limit to what we can do, but uh, there, there's, it's, it's a high bar. You know, we can do all kinds of different stuff. And I've heard stories too, you know, people will, you know, the different kit manufacturers that can you make me, uh, you know, can, can, can you make me a structure based on a photograph? Well, yeah, sure. And they send them a grainy photograph yeah. from, you know, 1893. Yeah. And they say, uh, can you make me, yeah, I, I need all four walls and I need them to be accurate. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> no well, Joey, no, I, do you like raw format or is there a preferred format for the file? Oh, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if it's a, if it's a large JPEG, that's fine. Okay. Or, or a, you know, a TIFF or, I mean, if you have raw, that's great because then I can take it and, and do some, you know, work with it as far as the exposures go. I can go a couple stops either way if it's too bright, if it's too dark. Okay. Um, but yes, I, uh, raw format is always good if, if you have a way to transfer it to me or, you know, you can, you can even send it on a thumb drive or CD if you needed to, but we'll be, we'll be working on this new layout and coming up, we'll be putting the backdrop panels in place and doing some of the, uh, sub road bed and then moving on to track. And I did talk to Kevin Hunter who advertises on MRH, uh, uh, model Robert hobbyist uh, on the website there, uh, touch toggles, you know, touch toggles, Barry Hill trains. That's not bouncing off of me. No, <laughs> he's, he's one of the advertisers on the website. Get, get, get familiar with that. And it's called what? Uh, Barrett Hills touch toggles. If you go to the forum, usually his ad is up at the top. Okay. It's, it's controls. It's turnout controls. Okay. But we, if you, if you watch one of our older videos, we use the touch toggles on the, spruce layout the on 30 version and we're going to use those again and we're going to make a control panel so he'll be coming up here to the shop he lives down in maryland he'll be coming up to the shop and we'll be doing some video with him at some point in the next month or so those touch toggles are are like perfect for modules when you're moving them around i can't oh, tell absolutely. you how many toggle switches have got broken off and moving on so I, oh, I yeah. i've been very interested in trying out oh yeah they're 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 good equipment, and the only, like I said, the only drawback to it is you have to make your own control panel with your own graphics and, and frame and stuff. But uh, you know, I can I can help somebody if they don't know how to do it. I can help them do it, and you know, I get I get people calling me now and then after seeing the video. Where are you, Chris? Because there's every you're clicking on, and there's a lot of lot of noise. Well, I'm traveling to the St. Louis RPM right now. <laughs> This is a, you're kind of on a ride along. <laughs> okay, okay. Don't even realize. I didn't want to overwhelm chat. So that's why I've been kind of like toggling ah. on and off. Otherwise, you get a lot of just sort of background road okay. noise. So. 
All right. Well, I can edit a lot of it out, but otherwise I'll just curse you in vain, and so we'll be okay. Yeah, probably won't be the first time. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. Yeah, I, Paul, Paul, I actually wanted to do a small project layout like this with uh, uh, Barry Silverthorne and the guys at Trainmaster TV. Okay. Joe, Joe Fugate and Barry contacted me. It had to be two or three years ago. And they wanted me to come up to, to uh, I guess, Barry's shop in, in, what is it, Ontario or somewhere up in Canada. But I just, I just couldn't get away. But the idea was for me to come up and do some scenery and, and detailing, you know, track stuff and, and that sort of thing. But we just weren't able to, uh, you know, get away and get up there. Do you have time to do it now? I don't. <laughs> oh, okay. okay. No, it's even, it's even worse now. But I, I feel bad and I wish I could do it. But I got to meet Barry and hang out with him a little bit at last year's uh, Fine Scale Model Expo up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Okay. And I even ran the camera for him. Oh. <laughs> yeah, at the, at the Model Bash. Well, I'm looking forward to your next videos on the progress of building the, the railroad, but also just the informational stuff, I'm serious, that you do, they're just excellent because they're concise, they're well-communicated, and they just bring out simplicity in accomplishing uh, the goal. Excellent job. Well, I appreciate that. And, and I come from the school that, that I, I'm, I'm hard to teach to because I, I'm one of those people that kind of refuse to understand something unless it's, unless it's presented to me in a way that's fun and interesting. So I try to make the videos at least a little bit interesting and try to interject a little bit of humor into it to to keep from just being that guy that's stirring a bowl of, of mixture. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and like I say, your, your wife is a great sport for, you know, her participation and stuff. She, she adds to it. So congratulations to her. Yeah, I, I will. And, and I will mention that to her because she has texted me twice now. <laughs> And she said, are you done yet? And I said, no, we, but we were talking about you. And she said, oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, we'll let you get out of the doghouse there. So, all right, you can go down and tend to your wife. Yeah. Gentlemen, I, I appreciate your time tonight. Thanks, guys. Well, thank Much you. All right, guys. Hey, thanks a lot. Have a good night. I've enjoyed the heck out of this. I'm glad we finally got it together. Me too. I, I hope you'll consider having me uh, again where we can, you know, have some fun. We will. A anytime, man. Anytime. All right, Joey. Thank you very much. Yep. Thanks, Paul. All right. Bye. Yep. Bye-bye.